All right, good evening, everybody, and um, pleased to call us to order here for the school committee meeting um, Wednesday, October 18th. <clears throat> um, we can pledge allegiance to the flag before we get started. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Okay, so um, as we look at our agenda, that's uh, pretty full agenda for tonight. This is going to be a lot of... Um, good reports and updates. Does anyone have anything to remove from the agenda? I have two items. The fourth quarter report for FY23. The committee did convene, but I don't believe it made it through the entire report itself. And the MFE update, actually I can still give that because I can talk about Monster Dash, so that's fine. Okay. I was unable to attend the meeting. Okay, thank you. Any other um, changes? So I would like to propose that we, um, we are joined by Lisa Troy this evening, who's um, giving us a report from the Climate Action Planning Committee. Um, if it's okay, Lisa, if you don't mind, we'll just do citizen speak first, but then have you go right after that. Um, and is that all right with everybody here? Okay, so we can ap approve tonight's agenda. Is everybody good? All right, great. Um, so let's go ahead and um, have citizens speak then, which is our time up to 15 minutes set aside for members of the community to come and share their views with us. Um, just a reminder that um, Per our policy, we do not respond directly to individual citizens who have come, um, but we do appreciate anybody who takes the time, whether on Zoom or in person, to join us to share their views. Um, is anybody here planning to participate in Citizen Speak this evening? Anybody online that you can see? Okay, if you're online and want to participate, please raise your hand at this time. All right, well, in that case, Lisa, we'll turn it over to you. And thank you so much. Um, maybe we should go around and introduce ourselves, if that's okay. Um, so as we just greeted each other, but I'm Lizzie, um, chair of the school committee. My name is Chu, I'm a member. Beverly Ross Denny, I'm a member. Anna Varghese, also a member. Mark Loring, another member. Nice to meet you. Peter Burroughs, I met you in the in your in the ring. relative's house. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I'm Lisa Troy. I am your designee to the Climate Action Planning Committee. It's an honor to represent you and do this important work. Um, you know, to reduce greenhouse gas emissions and adapt to climate change. Uh, my purpose to speak with you all today is to update you on our committee's work, share my research questions with you that relate to Milton Public Schools, 
and request your feedback and, and input. On my document here, I have a link to the CAP website and our charge and statement of purpose. And just a quick overview, um, the select board formed the Climate Action Planning Committee in January of 2023. The committee's charge is to re review and evaluate town bylaws, regulations, and policies and make recommendations for strategies to reduce greenhouse gas emissions, mitigate climate risks, and expand energy efficiency opportunities for the town. The, the committee has been asked to solicit input from residents, stakeholders, and experts in order to produce a climate action plan for Milton. Tomorrow will be our sixth meeting, actually in this room, this is where we meet and we meet monthly on the third Thursdays so far. So a quick overview of what we've been working on. Um, we are developing a work plan and a schedule. We have assigned committee members to research projects. I'm focusing on transportation and risks from wildfires. We decided on scope and priorities. So we voted to reduce greenhouse gas emissions, as well as adapting to, to a changing climate. So not all the towns do both of those, um, but we thought we should look at both. What can we do to reduce emissions and what can we do to prepare for the changes in climate? We commenced a review of other towns' climate action plans. So there are many towns that are you know, quite ahead of us with this work. We met with Apex, which is an environmental consulting firm that the town hired to create a greenhouse gas inventory. Uh, we've explored funding for our work, and we've discussed our process for interacting with other committees. I want to highlight the greenhouse gas inventory. A link to it can be found on the CAP uh, website. And I'll just read a little bit uh, of what this says here. So apart from sources like buildings and transportation, emissions are also classified into various scopes. Our greenhouse gas inventory distinguishes between emissions that physically occur within the town. Those are scope one. Those that occur from use of electricity, steam, and or heating, cooling, supplied by grids, which may or not cross town boundaries, that's scope two. And scope three are those that occur outside the town, but are driven by activities that take place within the town. So in the materials I provided to you, I give some information about the two, two, uh, 2017 report, but the 2022 report was just finalized. Um, and it shows that 40, a little over 45% of our emissions were generated from buildings and 53% by transportation. I'm sure that's not a surprise. Um, uh, waste was fairly low, it was 1.8%. And um, looking a little deeper into transportation, they were able to calculate the emissions from passenger cars, light duty trucks, medium and heavy duty trucks, gasoline and diesel. Um, 
Of the total emissions from transportation, passenger cars make up 61%. And then they divided the statutory, excuse me, the stationary sources into residential, commercial, and institutional, and fugitive emissions. So the school buildings would fall under the institutional part. So our total, I guess, carbon equivalent is um, over 290,000 for the town. Um, transportation is uh, you know, over 153,000. That's for scope one, which is you know, the biggest part. Um, also in the materials I provided, there's um, a graph that shows the breakdown amongst residential and different types of building, um, on road, so that's all transportation, and then you know it breaks up into you know railways and solid waste. So when we look at this report, and we, we use this report to inform you know our our decisions of where can we get the met the most bang for our our buck um, for our attention, um, and certainly transportation you know is a huge part of that and how it relates to schools. Um, this helped me think up some questions about how transportation interacts with Milton Public Schools. And so some of my questions are here. Um, you know, some of the, the, the biggest ones, you know, looking at how are kids getting to and from school, right? I know there are buses. I know there's data on the buses, um, how many kids are signed up for that, but do we have data on how many kids walk versus bike, how many kids maybe get carpooled um, versus like a, you know, a single trip? I'm pretty sure we all know that, you know, that first week in September when schools are back in, in um, session, we're aware of how much more traffic there is on the roads. So I think, it's probably a fair hypothesis that there is a lot of our, you know, passenger traffic is is transporting students. Um, I'd love to know if there are any efforts to encourage carpooling in the schools. Um, I'd like to know more about our relationship with the bus company. I, I think I know that it's we contracted out. I wonder if if there's an option to use electric buses. I'm interested to know about the the cost and the the how cost and pickup time and schedules affect caretakers' decisions to sign up for bus service, and what grants and programs exist to reduce greenhouse gas emissions from transporting students to and from school. I'm also then have some questions about the building side. I know. You know, we have fairly new buildings and many of them have solar. I'm wondering if, um, you know, how energy efficient they are, if there's any improvements they can, we can, that can be made. I wonder how resilient our schools are to high temperatures and heat waves. So is air conditioning an adaptation that will be needed in the future? And um, are schools resilient to other extreme weather events? Of course, you know, we also want to know what funding there might be, so grants and programs. 
And then the last question is in regards to, you know, a, the idea of a new school building and what can we do to make that a, you know, a net zero building and how might the, um, the climate action planning committee be involved in that design phase? So those are the questions, you know, I'm looking into. And so, you know, at this point, you know, I'll just kind of marinate on them. And, you know, I obviously don't expect answers here at this meeting, but if you have any information, if you know where to get this data um, or have ideas on getting it, please share that with me. Um, if there are questions not on here that I should be aware of, let me know. Um, you know, I, I, something I thought of to add on my way over is, you know, stakeholders, of course, you all are stakeholders, the, you know, the, the folks who run the facilities are stakeholders, you know, the parents, the, the teachers, the staff, the students. Um, and then there are lots of organizations within the town. So if you have anything to add, please, please let me know. And I'm your designee, so I'm here to represent, you know, the school's interests on this committee. So thank you. <clears throat> Thank you so much, Lisa. Thank you for all your time in serving on the committee um, and certainly for taking this time to come and bring us up to speed. Um, this is this is terrific. And as you said, it is a lot for us to think about. And I definitely know transportation yeah. and facilities are both things that we are doing, have been discussing and will continue to discuss. Um, does anybody have any I mean, Thoughts I, or questions for Lisa? I, I, it would be great to sit down and, and talk through some of these questions and context. And I was thinking it would be it would be um, awesome to add Chris, who's sitting in back there, um, <laughs> along with uh, Glenn Pavlicek, who is uh, not here right now, but will be coming back in a few weeks. But right. I, I think maybe when he comes back, it would be great for the four of us to sit down and, and talk through some of this and probably learn experience for me, too, as we're kind of talking together and, and right. seeing what's possible as we look ahead. And I'm sure our, our students are interested in the answers to these questions. <laughs> well, just to add on to what Dr. Burroughs shared, it, it begs the question of once we do have those answers, how are we going to make the decisions about which things we're going to address? And mm -hmm. in, integrating <laughs> that into the budget plan for the town as well as the district for the next school year. Right. I don't know if once you have this meeting, if there's a task force or we just invite them to be part of the budget process so we can make sure that we integrate those components. And right. This might be part of the larger facilities budget or the larger transportation budget, but I'd love to see it move from once you have the answers to how do we prioritize it against we are playing our part as a town department. Right, and I know you know busing is a very expensive piece. Um, luckily, I've little research I have done. There's a tremendous amount of of grants for schools, so that's exciting. <laughs> okay, yeah. Um, I assume y'all within your work, you're looking at the city uh, Boston's Birdo requirements, right? And the so they have 
requirements on every large um, facility in order to get them to net zero by 2050. That is like the requirement. Mm -hmm. We have reporting requirements that every facility has to do on an annual basis and obviously track that downward towards getting to 2050, um, all those types of things. So I, I just, I know that program very well uh, for my right. own um, Great. time I have to spend within that. Um, and then, you know, certainly I think from the facility kind of advisory side and the conversations we're having, um, any support your committee could potentially do as it relates to like finding grants or resources that help us do um, procure some like evaluation of facilities that would provide us kind of insight into how we get to net zero carbon emission buildings uh, across the, the school district. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. And, you know, as we are reaching facilities, we were just talking about it in our facility advisory committee meeting of like our buildings are getting to be about 20 years old, uh, which means there are some uh, mechanical features that will, you know, be needing to be replaced soon. So from a, a timeliness perspective, having some of that information of how we think about, you know, before the equipment fails and we just need to kind of buy it quickly, like how are we thinking strategically about which equipment and when that right. addresses the, the cooling issue as you've raised, but also the net, um, net zero, you know, ultimate goal mm -hmm. uh, that we have. Great. Uh, and then from uh, the school building side, I can say, you know, it's come up a couple times in some conversations with when we were doing OPM procurement of like, you know, is there a goal of net zero construction? And I think what we said from SBC is like, we, we haven't gotten quite to that place yet. We're just trying to pull together the team, but certainly we'd love to have you or other members of the CAPC join that meeting or for us to join one of your meetings, mm -hmm. uh, whatever makes sense to kind of create that cross communication. Great, that sounds perfect. Thank you. So Thank you. maybe we should just, um, so you'll be able to follow up and schedule that time with Dr. Burroughs, which will be great, and your team. And then um, I'll stay in touch with you about quarterly updates or something like that, a way that we can invite you at your convenience to join us um well, i'm around the corner periodically so it's easy for me to come <laughs> you know because i know you are doing these meetings in the meantime and um or even if where it makes sense instead of or in addition to coming to these like if if you ever want to you know invite lisa to a facilities meeting or whatever we can figure that out as we go but i think there's a lot of cross-pollination there for sure yeah yeah, yeah. Well, thank, thank you so much thank again. You. Thank you. Thank you. All right, so um, that brings us to superintendent's report. Great, thank you. I'm so excited to invite MHS up soon, but before we do that, I have a couple things I want to share. <laughs> That was just the first thing on my mind, so I had to say that. Um, really excited to have you all here. Um, so uh, my update in terms of the work I've been doing over the last few weeks, I'm finishing up phase one of the entry plan, and um, that runs through the end of this month, so we've got one more community forum. Um, I'm gonna be in Kalika tomorrow all day. We're meeting with staff, and I'm finishing up those kind of full days in, in buildings. Um, some coffee events are coming up too towards, uh, I think next month or next week and the week after that. So the kind of final 
formalized work that I've been doing to, to listen to the community and hear from them. One thing I did want to share, if you haven't, um, anyone who is in the room or outside of the room, if you haven't filled out the survey, um, it would be great if you did that. And if you know of people that may not have seen that, um, to let them know to fill out the survey. The, the link is on our website under my, my page. Um, if you go to About and Superintendent, it's on the right side, and there's a, a place there where you can link to the survey. And we'll send this out again, but I really want to make sure we get as many people filling that survey out as possible so that when we bring all that data together and share it back out, it's as representative as possible of, of, of Milton, the entire community. Um, we are uh, cruising through October, and uh, we're kind of getting on close to hiring season for administrative positions. You all know that we have some interim positions. Um, we have actually three interim positions right now, administrative positions. So we're beginning to, to um, kind of put together the processes for those three positions. One is our um, Tucker principalship. One is our director of DEIB. Um, and one is our assistant superintendent of finance and operations. Um, so we are um, kind of beginning that work post haste. We want to make sure that we get out there, you know, kind of just at the right time. Um, you know, we, we knew we would be posting these, but we didn't want to post them too early when people weren't looking. So this is kind of, we're starting to edge into prime time. Um, and we're going to be, um, I think we're going to be starting with the, the Tucker principalship in terms of timing. Um, working on sharing that information with the community in the following week in terms of what our process will be, um, timeline, all, all of that. Um, so excited to, to engage with everybody um, in, that in those processes as we go forward. Um, quick thing uh, that happened between last meeting and this meeting, uh, we had applied for an SEL grant, um, Karen McDavid had. We, we, um, did receive that grant for $80,000, which is great. The Health and Wellness Committee is going to be rebooting soon. Um, Karen is going to be working with Danielle Wetmore, who is our Director of Student Services. Have you all met her? Okay. I'm going to ask her to come to. Actually, you met her last week. She was here last, she was here last week, yeah. last meeting at the presentation. Um, so um, she and Karen are going to be kind of working to, to bring that committee back together. I think there, as we had talked about in terms of committees and committee structure and what um, health and wellness kind of could do to move the work in Milton, they're gonna be kind of considering kind of what, what that looks like. Um, and I think thinking about it really in, in terms of MPS, I know previously the health and wellness committee had a um, more of a kind of a town-wide maybe uh, focus so bring it in, in in a little bit more. Um, we communication wise, we've got a, our first district newsletter that's coming out. Uh, I believe this week uh, we didn't send it out. We were planning to. That was part of our overall redux of communication was moving from that blog, which was weekly and just had everything, to a monthly overview, district overview, to get give people a connection to things that are happening across the district, um, trying to put more information in the weekly newsletter from principals, which we think um, 
families were more connected to, mm -hmm. and then my monthly communication as well to give me a chance to connect with community kind of through my own voice. Um, I'm also uh, sending information to staff through our, our staff weekly where we're, instead of sending like 500 emails a week on, to, to staff and in all staff emails, we're trying to consolidate all that information into one weekly informational um, kind of, it's not quite a newsletter, but um, informational space. Um, so that, that work is moving on. Um, that, those are my updates for today. Any questions before we invite we were high school? We're going to talk about transportation. I think that was one of the things that we. Yeah. So, so I I did have that on my list, and with Glenn gone, and um, you know, I mean, essentially, we're we're kind of taking people off of the list as we can. We still ha are obviously not meeting need and haven't met need, and I'm not sure if we have met need in the past ever. I mean, I, I think we've always had some sort of waiting list. Um, so yeah, we're not, we're not I, don't, I don't have anything else to share on that right now. The budget, the, the current, our current you know, 24 budget is pretty tight, so adding an additional bus right now would, would, be, would be hard given um, how tight we think it is right now. Again, it's early, so it's hard to say. Um, that was Glenn's kind of analysis and looking at where we are. Uh, one bus costs about $80,000. If we did add a bus, uh, we could you know, take some students off the, the wait list, on, um, but we couldn't get everybody, obviously, because we'd have to redo, mm -hmm. you know, redo the, the routes. I mean, and that's... What, what I would like to see us do is look at current need this year, and as we're looking ahead to next year, we're, we're working with, and, and we've done this work in-house in, in terms of setting routes. Um, most contracting services, bus contracting services, will do that as well. So that is a conversation we will be having to figure out if we do hit a total reset, which means kind of looking anew at all of our roots and not just a tweak, but it's probably, you know, if you added, if you added one bus to our mix currently, would that, and you redid all of the routing, would that solve the issue? So it's pretty complex, that part of it. Um, but ultimately, that's where I would like to see us go. And I think the increased cost is outweighed by the ability for, um, I mean, talking about the climate action work. Um, and and I, I think for a lot of families, this is really hard with two working parents to figure it out. Um, so I, I think that's something that, that is, is on us as a community to, to make sure every student can, can get to school, um, even if it's not legally required. Does it make sense to help for our district to purchase some school bus and use it within the district? Does it make feasible sense, like financial wise and time wise? And I've know. looked at this before. It's a pretty deep. I mean, it's there are lots of factors involved in in moving away from contracting to having your own bus service, uh -huh. 
and it's a significant initial investment. Um, so, you know, big upfront costs, and then over time, you can potentially save. You do have the challenge, like, you know, you have to have a director, you have to, have, you know, hire a whole kind of team. You need space for all those buses, so you need to. Yeah. I mean, in this town, we'd probably have to look somewhere else, just given how hard it's been for us to find space for for teaching and learning. Um, but yeah, that I mean that is something that down the road we can certainly look at. But it, it wouldn't be a savings in the short term. Yeah. Most superintendents tend to like, when that question's asked, they kind of slowly like back. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody really wants to hold that one. <laughs> I just throw it out there and see if yeah, no, it's a wise idea come up. I'm accepting it, I'm accepting it. <laughs> so in terms of, um, you know, this continuing to be something that is almost, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a living piece of your, of your report, you know, you may focus on it more some yeah. weeks than, than others. Um, so what, what time frame are you anticipating? I mean, knowing that the budget planning process is going to really pick up a lot pretty quickly right when Glenn is back, right? Mm -hmm. Then how, like, so what's the time frame for conducting the research or understanding the options of what a reset would cost in order to have that be like? We, yeah, we have to, yeah, we have to sit down, we have to sit down and decide if it's gonna be us or the contracted service that's gonna run the reset and then just figure out how long it's gonna take to do that. Um, but I do think we can put initial, I mean, even just looking at the number of current, current riders, like the ridership, and you know, if we need like one or two more buses, I think we would be able to come up with a, we, we could assume that our, if our current buses are at capacity and we have you know, another 45 or 50 students, if we added another bus, we most likely, if we do a reset, can pretty much meet need. I, I think the question would be, do we want to have some flexibility so that every bus isn't at total capacity and you have the ability, you know, like you don't build a building, if you have 300 students, you don't build a building that can fit 300 students. You provide a little bit of additional space to, for, for growth, essentially. So that, that would be something that we'd want to talk about. So it could be like two buses, as an example. So I guess following, um, or following sort of that train of thought, would we be ready to fold additional cost into the FY23, no, 24, 25? 25. 25, um, 25. Yeah, FY25 budget um, in time for you know, the actual approval. Do you think we would be able to I think so, have yeah. the information I think so, yeah. at that point? So it's something we can keep in mind as we finance yeah. keeps meeting to mm -hmm. not forget about, about that. Mm -hmm. okay. And I've never, I mean, the question, do we have any messaging around carpooling? Like I, I've never, in five years that I've had kids here, I've never heard anything about carpooling. So I don't know, that's kind of an interesting <clears throat> yeah, question. Just a walk and bike to school day. 
are <laughs> right, but like how to incentivize things like that, mm-hmm. even if it could help families that are, you know, uh, still stuck on a wait list or something. Right, um, right. But anyway, there, that a reset hopefully would um, involve all those like thinking outside the box factors. So. Um, yeah. Okay. No, I think there's a lot of opportunity there. All right. Well, Bev, thanks for asking about it. Yeah. Thank you for giving us some information. So. Great. MHS. It's time, it's time for MHS. Yeah. Thank you. I see it's higher than you. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, you got a low share. <laughs> there might be a, like, something on the bottom of it. They actually recline a little bit too. We don't want any money. I think they can use those. I've learned from Bow. Good evening. Thank you for having us. Um, Karen Cahill, I'm the Mount High School principal, and along with me this evening, I have Dan Crowley um, and Jenny Bellavo, both members of, of my site council, but also staff members at Milton High School. Diane is an English teacher um, and has been in with the district as long as I have, I think. Yes. Um, we're not going to say how long. <laughs> nope. And Jenny Bellavo is one of our adjustment counselors and district SEL um, adjustment counselor lead. So um, I thank both of them for being here with me this evening, and thank you for all of us um, for joining us this evening. So we presented last January, and at that point in time, um, we had just completed a NEASC decennial review. And any time you've met with me, you've heard me say that NEASC decennial review. Um, and I was going to provide you updates and updates and updates on how it all went. And overall, it went fantastic. Um, we'll go over those points this evening as part of our presentation for our school improvement plan. Um, our site council members are hopefully watching on TV. We're going to be meeting with them next week to review everything. Um, three amazing students at the high school, along with some parent members in our community. Um, Anna Lyons, Deborah Bingham, and Sarah Porter, and Kathy Huntington is our community member. Um, Tucker, Jenny, and Julia have been very active members of site council. Um, over the years. Um, so it's a great bunch of uh, staff members and students and family, community members, to talk about all of the great things that happen at Milton High School. So a few things as we start this evening. Um, Garth, you're in charge, right? OK. <laughs> so when, anytime you have a presentation at the high school, we talk about the mission statement and the vision of a graduate at Milton High School. And, and I really hope through tonight's presentation that um, you will see Everything that, everything that Milton High School has to show that um, our mission statement says. We're challenging our students to be the best versions of themselves inside and outside of the classroom, inside and outside of our school, and through collaboration with their peers, staff members, and members of the community, um, that our students will represent Milton High School as amazing young adults, and not just in Milton, but outside of Milton as well. Um, so next slide. Thanks. Just want to share some really great news about us, and there's some um, great things to point out. Graduation class of 2023, um, 87% went off to a four-year school. I'm not going to read all of all of the data for the class of 2023, but some great outcomes. 
Um, we really have those conversations with our students about college and career readiness and post-secondary planning. And not just as far as attending a four-year institution, but also a two-year institution or trade schools or um, out in the workforce. Whatever the student, whatever the plan the student wants, we try to support the student in that goal. Some really great things from the past year, and I'll talk about some of our data at the end of the presentation as well. We had 829 AP exams administered this past year for 22 AP courses. Um, 371 students tested across grades 10, 11, and 12, and 88% of the scores were three or higher. Now, for anyone who doesn't understand, scores three or higher have always counted towards, if depending on the college that you attend, count towards college credit. The more we look at, while our AP program continues to grow, and I'm going to talk about that, we also want to talk about what scores are actually getting students college credit. And depending on the college, it used to be scores of three, four, and five. Sometimes now it's depending on, it's a score of a four or a five, or just a five. And we're also finding that for some students who report back to us, you know, they just keep in touch with us. They'll say, I had no idea this score of five or the score of four got me credit because when I first went to the admissions office, they didn't tell me that. So we always tell the students to dig deeper and dig deeper in. We find that there are some students coming back to us a few years later saying, can you tell me my college board access information? And we're like, no, that's, that's your information. We don't have that. Um, because that's always, we always tell them to use that personal information. But they're still trying over three or four years later to get that AP credit. And um, it's conversations that we continue to have with our students to make sure they understand how to access that credit as well. Um, this past year, we had our first dual enrollment with Quincy College, 37 students received three credits to go towards their college, to early college readiness, um, which is, was something, I know some of you were part of the conversation a few years ago when we first started implementing dual enrollment. And we have, for this current year, we have three courses. We have pre-calculus, we have statistics, and calculus um, that we're allowing students to uh, get AP credit for. I'm sorry, dual enrollment credit for. Conversation I want to have big picture and not just necessarily this evening is how we're supporting students to do dual enrollment. How are we supporting students to do AP? And when I talk about how we support them, I'm talking about the financial support that we want to provide them as well. I will talk about that down the road. Um, Milton High School to date, 49 new students have enrolled at Milton High School or come back to the Milton Public School since the start of the year. Um, students that have gone off to private institutions um, decide that they'd like to come back to Milton High School, which I embrace that and, and love that opportunity. So. Enrollment just continues to go up, and um, it's, it, like I said, it's great to have our students come back. Some great new facts for this year. Um, we went from 22 AP courses last year to 24 this year. We have AP Pre-Calc, which is a new college board AP course, and Milton High School's participating in that. There's other high, local high schools participating in that as well. They're building the curriculum as, as the year goes. We're also one of, I don't even believe there's a 1,000 schools nationwide. That is, we are offering the AP African American Studies course. Last year, there was a pilot of about 60 to 80 schools. And Barbara Wright, who is the head of our Humanities Department, Social Studies Department, um, was part of that conversation in, in getting that up and running here at Milton High School. So I'm really happy to know that we have two more courses at Milton High School. The enrollment in both of those courses is, is pretty solid and steady. Um, and students are already talking about, what am I going to take next year? So. It's, it's great to have um, our students access that information. So a few more things. So I spoke at the beginning about NEASC. And I'm going to ask uh, Assistant Superintendent McKinney to open up the letter that we received right at the start of the school year as far as the commended areas for NEASC. 
MEASC, if you don't know, is a 10-year process. And in that 10-year process, there's accountability that happens throughout that 10-year time period. Um, it's We had the year we came back, so the year of 2020-2021, we had our um, three-year review leading up to the decennial. So the NEASC visit was a hybrid um, visit, so to speak. And in that three years, they had said to us, okay, there's just a few things we'd like you to touch upon to get ready for the decennial visit. So when they came last year on site, they spent four days with staff, with students, with parents in the community, um, going into classrooms, reviewing our curriculum, having conversations with you know students and how they felt things were at Milton High School. And the letter um, that we received in August pretty much summarizes how we did. And I'm just going to open the letter on my... Oh, okay. So I, I just think I did this with the staff at the start of the year and the commended areas. And so when we talk about the commended areas, this not only is from the decennial visit that we just had, but from 10 years ago as well. So in that 10 years, what are the things we want you to work on? And some of the shout outs that they gave to us were, we've created a time during the day where there are students, students can't connect with a staff member who's other than an academic teacher or a counselor, someone else that they feel, hey, you know what, I have someone that I can connect with. So that's why we created that advisory period. Um, we also have three full-time adjustment counselors in the, in, in the building at this point in time to support the social emotional needs of our students. Um, we have, they gave us a, a great shout out for the extracurricular activities that we have, not just the athletics, but the clubs. And in conversations with the students and staff, they realized that some of these extracurricular activities were born from student involvement. Students saying, I want this. What about this? Can we have this at the high school? So they, they really applauded us for that. Um, we continue, one of the, the things that they also noticed is that we continue to work on streamlining our curriculum and what that looks like. And again, we will touch upon that. Ms. Crowley will touch upon some of the work that the English department and other departments are doing to streamline the development of our curriculum and making sure it is meeting the needs of all of our students. Um, as we go a little further down on the letter, um, we created in the past five or six years, we've created the Bright program at the high school, and Ms. Bellavo will talk upon that later as well. I think we all know over the past several years, the social, emotional, and mental health needs of our students has, of our students in our community has increased greatly. And the Bright program is a transitional program for students that any student that has, um, has school anxiety, school avoidance, or has had other concerns outside the school that has prevented them from coming to school, the Bright program is that we want you back in the building. We want to support all of your needs, and how can we do that? And transitioning them back into the classroom. And that looks different for every single student. And I have to applaud the work of the adjustment counselors, our teachers, um, the bright teacher, to make sure that those individual plans are put into place for, the, for each student. And it really does look different for every student, how we do that. Um, we, we talk about the dedicated time for teachers to meet with their colleagues and collaborate. Every department, this is the first year. For the past 10 years or so, there's been a common planning time for five of our five of our departments. This is the first year that there's common planning time across all of our departments for them to collaborate, work on their goal, common goals, assessments. Um, and again, we will talk about that a little bit further down the road. But I just applaud the work that the staff and the students do at Milton High School to get this great report from NEASC. And I'm happy to share that along with everyone, just so you all have a copy of it. Um, come this May, we have to provide an update 
to NEASC on what we've done since they've left as far as curriculum writing. That is a focus that they have for us. And again, I'll show you this evening the work that we're doing for that as well. Um, so that's why NEAS continues to be a focus for us. It is an accreditation process. It is something we take very seriously. And we're proud to represent um, the Milton community with the NEASC um, visiting committee. So as we continue with the presentation, um, we also, this year, we got the shout out from College Board being an honor roll, AP honor roll community, meaning that we are, we are increasing access for students to access our AP program. Um, and how and to talk about the post-secondary process. They had shared with us information um, that our, we are above average when it comes to college and career readiness and planning. And um, also another shout out we got this year, and these are just, I think, things that we all need to know. The Special Olympics um, gave us a nice shout out for our unified track program that went to states last year, and I believe that was the first time in a while that they had gone. So. All of these great things that are happening within the classroom, outside the classroom, to support student engagement. Um, and again, couldn't be done without our staff um, that work at the high school. So as we move to the next part of our presentation, at the start of the year, I shared this with staff. And my opening thoughts on opening day were, we have our overall district strategic plan which has our three pillars of safe and supportive schools, personalized learning and equity and learning. And how does the Milton High School School Improvement Plan of student engagement, curriculum and instruction, the, the school mission and vision of a graduate and facilities support and complement the district strategic plan? So as we go, go forward with this presentation, that is what I want to um, bring to your attention, how our, how our school improvement plan complements the district strategic plan. So. One of the things we continue to talk about is where have we been and where are we going? And I think it's important for all of us to know where we've been so we can re recognize the work that we've done and that we're going to continue to do moving forward. We have continued to have conversations around um, technology and we have a new student information system in place this year that we're all um, acclimating ourselves with. And we continue to work with Ms. Ms. Bellavo continues to educate and work with the staff on trauma-sensitive trauma training, um, cultural competency, social-emotional learning. And as we move forward, we're working this year with um, outside agency to promote and work with staff on universal design and personalized learning. And, what Paul, and we always continue to have the conversation on what data do we need to drive our practice forward? We're just not making decisions. We're basing it off of data that we have from attendance to discipline to AP to college board to formative and summative assessments. So the work that we're doing this year really is being driven by the data that we've collected over the years and where we want to move forward. So as, as we talk about um, the work that Milton High has done, I think when I look at equity and learning and personalized learning, I, I, I think, and we've had this conversation in high school, they complement each other. And equity and learning is meeting students where they're at. And personalized learning supports that goal. So why do I discuss them as one? Because you need, that, you need to look at education through an equity lens. And the needs of students have to be met where they're at. And so that's when, when we have these conversations, you will see us merging the, all of these points together. So as I said, you know, as we look at professional development for this year and where, what the work that Milton High School is doing this year, um, we reflect on the practices using within the classroom, the state data and nationwide data. And I've spoken a little bit about UDL and the work that NEASC has asked us to do. 
And I'm gonna ask Ms. Crowley to talk about upon the work that we've done already this year for NEASC and the work with Mike Anderson and sure. go from there. We're finding among our staff an increased willingness to rethink what education is for our students at this time. Our language around instruction is changing. Our thoughts around our collaboration among ourselves are changing. And it's really because of the leadership at Milton High School that we've been afforded these opportunities to step back and say, we're at a new phase in American education, and are we going to perpetuate past practices, or are we going to move things forward? And there is absolutely a willingness among our staff and our colleagues to rethink. Our program in UDL and the training that we are getting from Mike Anderson has been very exciting for those of us who are actively participating. And we are finding ways to have common conversations that should be pretty normal in a workspace, but the pace of a school day doesn't allow it. When we think about what we can provide a student and changing a classroom from being teacher-centric to student-centric, we immediately move to ideas of equity. We immediately move to ideas of project-based learning. And what we're doing, particularly in a high school environment, is we're coaching students through their own exploration. And that doesn't mean there aren't common science labs or math projects or English texts. What it means is those students are allowed to make meaning of what's important to them and bring their understanding of themselves personally and emotionally to the hard content in front of them. We want to raise our rigor, but not to the point that we intimidate students, turn them off, cause stress for them, but remind them that our goal is to move them along personally, socially, emotionally, and it comes back to this regrouping post-pandemic. It's time for rigor, but that rigor doesn't have to be an intimidating term for students if it's done in the context of appropriate instruction that meets students where they are. And I do believe that the programs that we've started this year, they were started a little bit in advance, certainly, and our NEASC visit every 10 years has provoked us to think about it. But at this particular moment, we are really ready to do this work. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Karth, do you mind going? So I just want, Ms. Crowley, to, you know, I spoke earlier about the vision of our graduates. So the taught and written curriculum, I've, Dr. McKinney, if you can open that up. So this is the work that I, I am talking about in regards to across the common planning time that we have, how the work that we do in every classroom meets the needs of the students, and also what we expect our students to know and understand before they graduate from high school. So this template that Dr. McKinney is showing us is was created a few years ago. It was born of NEASC and the desire that we have common curriculum formats, that things moving from a typewriter age to a word processing age, we were not uniform in how we were presenting things. And we needed to get to a place where any instructor could walk in and know, this is our curriculum and this is what we believe, this is what we teach, this is what we do. These documents are now being used uniformly across all content areas and departments to provoke conversations around values on curriculum, goals and in instruction and outcomes, and 
in having these forms, uh, Barbara Wright, our history head, has really helped us through this in her experience in being a NEASC participant in other districts mm -hmm. as a visitor has helped us create these documents. They're going to be invaluable to us as we move more towards a UDL model and bring more rigor to all content area for every student, whether it's an academic course or in an elective program. Thank you. And we're using the same kind of language to talk about curriculum. That's very important because a student sees seven teachers mm -hmm. and to use the same kind of language lets them know what academic behaviors are and what academic conversations are about. Thank you. Next slide, please. So as Diane was saying, just to close up that conversation, we, we encourage our students to be part of the conversations in class and we're hoping that as we do this work that students will continue to see themselves in the curriculum and what we do every day here at the high school. Over the past year, I want to draw to everyone's attention, I created a principal advisory group. And the point of that group, it was, it was new towards the end of the year. Um, I wanted feedback from students who weren't necessarily members of student government, who necessarily didn't think their voice was being heard. And it's a group of about 15 students. I meet with them every month. And they provide me feedback from the ground and what they're experiencing and what other people are experiencing. And we have honest conversations about how I can improve my practice or how we can do things differently at the high school or how things are going at the high school. Um, and I appreciate that the work that we are doing in that group and the work that we're going to continue to do. Um, so one of, the, one of the asks of the group, and I will say this um, to everyone in this room, they're young adults. They would like to get all of the emails that go out to the community as, as young high school students because sometimes their parents don't read those emails. So <laughs> I said, I can work on that. I can work on that. So um, I do appreciate what they bring to the table. And we continue to also have the conversation surrounding grading for equity. It's not just, as Diane was saying, a grade that a student gets, but making sure that they have mastery of the content and that they feel comfortable when they leave Milton High School that they have mastered with everything that they um, were engaged in at the high school. And just if any students out there are listening or parents, we do start freshman Olympics this week. So our student leaders are going into all of the freshman classes. And this is really just a great way to build that um, relationship with our upperclassmen, with our underclassmen. While it is competitive, it is really great spirit and fun that our student leaders are, are doing this work. So I applaud them for the work that they do. And it really, truly is student-driven. The advisors take a step back, and the student leaders are the ones who are um, doing all of the work. So I, I thank them for that. And as we go forward, um, I was, would ask Ms. Bellavo to talk about our safe and supportive schools and the work that has been done surrounding the safe and supportive schools. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Um, so one, I'm super excited because as you had announced, we did get another grant, which is incredible. Um, but yeah, so, so much of the work I think that we're doing right now regarding safe and supportive schools, so much of it we're trying to just have it embedded in the curriculum and have it be things that are happening every day within the high school. Um, so we do have a grant. Um, we're actually in year three of our grant through um, BID Milton for trauma-sensitive schools, trying to have the whole district be what we would call trauma-sensitive. Um, and so all the staff have been trained in that. Um, some of the support staff and the adjustment counselors and the SEL leads in the district are continuing to be trained in that um, and attend trainings to make sure that, that 
we are doing that every day in our practices, our policies, procedures, um, and what's happening within the classroom. Um, our group guidance lessons um, include responsibility and decision making. Um, so group guidance happens during our advisory period um, where the school counselors will go in and will do those lessons um, that are age appropriate and grade appropriate um, during that time. Um, and then um, writing prompts. So, you know, different things that are happening within the classroom that are really thought provoking um, um, regarding, you know, social emotional things that are happening, um, you know, within the school. So. Um, also, in addition to that, too, we didn't put it up there, but restorative practices um, and looking at, again, you know, discipline, not going to um, your normal discipline ways, but looking at restorative practices. And also a lot of times, especially in my office, we're having conversations about issues that might be going on with peers um, and looking at how we can do circles and restorative practices to really um, focus on building some of those um, you know, SEL um, goals that we all have for, for really just having our students be good people. Um, culture building and extracurriculars. Um, you know, we have the student leaders program um, that they are running the freshman Olympics this week. Um, different um, clubs that we have, the Key Club, National Honor Society, um, Milton Goals Globe, community projects, peer leadership opportunities, just different things really kind of creating the culture um, at Milton High School. So some of the intervention strategies, um, so a lot of this is really the work more of that, of what I do, you know, as an adjustment counselor. Um, so MTSS, which is the multi-tiered system of support, um, and looking at the referral processes that we have and the tracking that's happening. So if there is concerns regarding a student, um, you know, anyone within the building can actually refer someone to, a, to the student support referral, where we all kind of sit down as a team and say, what does the student need? Um, what kind of support can we provide? What can we be doing different in the classroom? What can we be doing as far as the adjustment counselor pulling in families, anything like that that we can do? Um, we're continually talking about how we can, you know, update that referral process. Um, case coordination is something that I actually run every other week. Um, it involves all the adjustment counselors, the um, administration, the school nurse, the school counselors, um, and some of our special educators. Um, and really just focusing on what are some big things that are happening within the school that we can, we can um, update, as well as focusing on um, individual students and the supports that we need for those students. And then just along the same lines, I spoke about the Bright program earlier. We have the Bright program and Compass programs, which are substantially separate programs that support students' social emotional needs. Um, and when we talk about the multi-tiered systems, we have to talk about what supports can we put into place to support all students. So we have time during the day. We have that advisory period that we spoke about. But we also have flex time, which is during our long block, long block. So if a student has, for example, math class during the long block, the teacher is teaching for, let's, I think it's 118 minutes, 23 minutes for lunch. There's about 20 to 25 minutes of flex time. And that time isn't necessarily for the teacher to teach. It's time for the teacher to touch base with the students and where are you at? What else do you need from me? How can I support you? So there's that extra time for any student to say, hey, can you stop and rewind and do that with me again? Um, or just say, I'm good. I want to start some, something different. I want to work on this independent project. So that's where that flex time is built in and the teachers and the students can put that model together within the classroom that they, that's appropriate for that class. Um, and again, academic strategies, again, is not it's not for special ed a student on an IEP, it's for students who, who have been identified through uh, case coordination or SST that they might need that additional time during the day with that additional staff member to help them with executive functioning and other supports that are in place. So we continue to review 
the MTSS system that we have at the high school and continue to reflect on that and see how we can continue to improve it. Um, and sometimes students are part of those conversations as well. So I do appreciate, again, that feedback that they've provided us. So as we move forward in the presentation, we just, again, these are conversations that we continue to have. Um, the links that are provided here are just, again, work that's being done in every department to support students. And it's just a working document. We saw these working documents last year, and we continue to have these working documents. So if we could go to the next slide, I think I have some nice things to share. So the official accountability report of, of Milton High School, as we look at this information, this is off of the DESE webpage. And it's not just based on MCAS scores. It's also based on advanced coursework that's completed, attendance data, our EL proficiency, and our graduation rate. So I, I think it's important to look at all of, all of this information as, as we look at Milton High School. Um, and again, how we plan to move forward to make sure the needs of all of our students are being met. Um, and as I started the presentation, I spoke about AP data. And I told you we had 891 tests, I believe. Garth, if we can go to the next slide. Um, with scores of three and over. We, we look at our five-year data when we do this, and we say, um, are we happy with these scores? What can we do differently? How can we get more students enrolled? And we do have open enrollment for courses at the high school. Of course, there are courses that have prerequisites. So conversations have to start almost, they have to start before they come into the high school to say, you know, big picture, where do you see yourself at at Milton High School? What do you want to be enrolled in? And do those courses have prereqs? So can we set you up to be in the right courses to get where you want to be? Um, we, we continue to have those conversations every year through group guidance, through the course selection process. Um, but it is conversations that we have. Um, our AP numbers continue to increase over the years. Um, and as we look at the AP data for, for this year, Garth, if you could just go back one slide. Um, oh, it's not in there. I apologize. When we... One of the, we were able to pull some data off of um, Power School today, and I apologize it wasn't added in, but I will share. When we look at um, AP participation for the 23-24 year, um, I am happy to say that when I, I look at by, by race and by the total number of enrollment, we are increasing enrollment um, for some of our subgroups, and I am really happy to say that. But again, I have to say, what else can we be doing to make sure all of our students have access to, the, to this curriculum? Um, and again, information that I will share out. And I apologize. We were trying to pull the data off of PowerSchool <laughs> as it's a new system. And we're getting there. We're getting there. Um, the next slide is about SAT enrollment. And it is something I said last year, and I have to continue to say so people understand expectations at the college level. We offer school day testing for SAT. So that way, students who might not have access to get to a test site on a weekend have access to do it during the school day. And numbers have dropped. And you'll see from 2020, where we were in the 96th percentile of students testing, now we're in the 70th. And that is consistent, not just in Milton, but, but across the state and, and in, um, in the nation. And the reason for that is, while students are still seeing this as a valuable test, colleges aren't necessarily using it as a means of enrollment mm. or acceptance. When we look at the number of colleges that require versus recommend SATs, that piece of data is very important, and we're continuing to look at that. Um, I'm continuing to have that conversation with other high schools in the area as well. What are we seeing? What is the trend that we're seeing? Just this past week, we did PSATs and SATs for all of our students, and our sophomores and juniors all participated in, for the first time ever, digital PSAT. And I thank anyone who's out there 
um, for their patients in, in implementing it. It was the first time College Board did PSATs digitally. Mm -hmm. And I will say thank you to the efforts of our students and staff and IT department. We were able to successfully do that where other high schools were not. They had to shut down for the day um, because they couldn't get onto the College Board website. Um, so I appreciate the efforts that we put in ahead of time to get this work done. Um, this coming year, next year, SAT will also be digital. Um, but we do that PSAT for students to have that exposure to the test so they understand when they take the SATs what they're looking for. And I think that's a great gift that we are able to afford to our students for the PSATs um, and SATs. The conversations that we have with our students is, you know, when you're looking at schools to apply to, what do they require versus what they recommend? Not just SAT scores, but letters of recommendation, a resume, other outreach letters from members of the community. It, it, it is changing. The scope of how people are being reviewed at the college level is changing. So we have to pay attention to that as well. Um, and I feel that our counseling department is doing a very nice job in doing that. There is MCAS data that is on here, and I know we went over that at the last eight, um, school committee meeting, so I wasn't going to really touch upon that because that data has already been shared with you. But I will say when it does come to MCAS, we are having um, regular conversations with leadership and with families to see how we can support the students who need more support when they're taking these exams. Um, we have re retests coming up in November for those students that did not get qualifying scores for English or for math. So we are having conversations on what supports can we put into place. Is that a strategies class? Is that one-on-one -on -one support? Is that outside support? So those are conversations we're continuing to have. Um, and that is Milton High School. So. Thank you. There we go. Thank you so much. <laughs> Definitely a lot here. There is. A lot to celebrate. And thank you for all the updates. Um, does anyone have questions? comments so you mentioned just following up on one quick thing you did mention as far as the data around AP subgroups yes that that's maybe something that can be added in absolutely. or shared with us after okay absolutely. yes Great. it's right here yeah thank you um, any questions <clears throat> or comments uh, I have a couple other questions uh, for the AP stuff. It said 371 students uh, took tests. Yes. Do we know how many kids are enrolled uh, in AP courses? Is it? I assume 100% of kids are not taking the tests. That is correct. So when we look at that number 371, that's between 10th, 11th, and 12th graders. Yep. So for this year, um, we have approximately, <clears throat> if I can see this, we have 166 juniors taking AP, AP and we have um, 204 seniors taking AP. So we don't have enough data for the sophomore class to really provide that information. Um, so the numbers just continue to grow. Gotcha. Um, can you share just another metric, which is attendance? Um, so obviously high school attendance across the state is rough. In yes. Our our metrics were not as strong last year as they've been historically, right? About a third of kids missed at least 10 days based upon the state data last year, which historically were closer to like 20, 25%, it seems like. So just any efforts that we're undertaking to try and, other than just improving instruction and you know making right. it uh, rigorous and engaging. It's a continued work. It's a continued reflection of work for us. It is It is one of my goals this year to be reflecting on, and I've had a conversation with Superintendent mm -hmm. Barrows about that, um, students being tardy to school. 
and improving their attendance and how can we support them getting them to school. Mm -hmm. That is a conversation that we are having. I will say that this year what we are doing, and it may sound punitive and and that's not the intention, is to have those conversations with students after school who don't make it to school by 750, to say what's going on and how can we help you and and what can change about, what can we do to support you and your family to get you to school on time? Conversation earlier about transportation, that that is a conversation that I think also impacts students at the high school. so what does that look like as, as we move forward? Um, students at the high school also need to get to school. Not everyone drives a car to school. There are students that are walking you know, two or three miles to get to school. And when you have to be at school for 750 um, on a rainy day or a day that the weather isn't so great, that, that's, that is a hard feat to do. So we, we do our best. But there is, we are constantly reflecting on the data with the new student information system that we have. It's also alerting us. If we if it gets past us and we don't know that Diane Crowley has been absent five times in a row or tardy to school five times in a row, it's alerting us. So we know to follow up and say, hey, what's going on? How can we support you with that? Mm-hmm. Um, Anecdotally, I'd like to add that as a classroom teacher, I'm finding better attendance and more students arriving to school on time and understanding that a bell means you're supposed to be in a classroom in a seat. And the kind of conversations that I formally needed to have each day taking time out of class to talk to somebody. It's been mitigated by the actions of the office and the conversations that are happening as students come in and staff are appreciating that. And it's made it easier for students because it feels less personal. It's easy to think that a teacher is out for you because you come into school late every day when the teacher is simply saying, hi, how are you? Come on in. Now that the phone is in the uh, hanging on the door, you can connect with them too. Yes, that's great. That's the advisory that's the period, advisory. and that's about not, it's in the middle of the morning. It's not to start the day, so they have to be in an academic class at the start of the day at seven fifty. I find that um, the long block that you mentioned is very clever um, because you do have rotating schedules, right? Yes. So. I assume that maybe every single subject teacher will yes. have a chance to have a long block and will be able to check in with students yep. who need. That's very clever. Yes. Okay. Thank you. For the dual enrollment, I know you all said that that's a, a new program, and yes. currently all the classes offered are math programs. Are there, um, is that a limitation of the organization we're working with? Like, is there, what, what is the future ideas around like expansion of dual enrollment into other areas or anything like that, opportunities? We like to expand our dual enrollment opportunities. Right now we're working with Quincy College, yeah. and we did one course last year just to get a feel for it and see how that worked out. And fortunately with Quincy College, it's teachers at Milton High School are teaching those courses, which is, is, which is wonderful. So our courses, our coursework is aligning with the work at Quincy College. We would like to reach out to other schools, local community colleges, to see who else we can get that with. Um, as I said earlier, the cost for that dual enrollment, it's $350 for a three-credit course, $450 for a four-credit course. And I did compare that to uh, UMass Boston, just, and it is substantially more cost-effective. It absolutely is. So we want to provide those opportunities to students, but at the same time, having conversations with students about how can we support them to have those opportunities, mm-hmm. right? So that is a non, that's something I would have a broader conversation for and open to any ideas. As we plan for budgeting for next year, I would love, I'm assuming that the students that are not in AP Calculus and they're in the Milton High School dual enrollment Mm -hmm. class, 
they're both getting college credit. If we can price those the same for families, so instead of the AP students paying 95 and dual enrollment students who may not have been invited or recommended for AP, paying $300, the difference in price, if we can make those on par with one another, mm. so it's it's not a trade-off. It's not one of them. It's one or the other. That's for budget. It's not, okay. You're fine. <laughs> I'm looking that way. <laughs> Good idea. Yeah. Uh, another thing I noticed was just your 10th grade uh, science um, scores are exceptional uh really good they're very much aligned with like how well we do in eighth grade as well i just wondered if there's anything in particular the magic your, your science department does uh yeah to get those types of results i i think anyone who has been in biology at Mount high school will agree that it's it's a hard course and i think the teachers do an amazing job and not just science department i think honestly across the board um but they hit the ground running first day freshman year, and, and they're taking that test. And it's the first test they take at the high school level that they realize, oh, I have to take this and pass it for graduation, mm -hmm. right? Um, sophomore year, math and English. Um, but I, I don't know what the magic is. I think it comes down to teacher instruction and student involvement. And that common planning time, I think, really, truly goes a long way to the teachers being able to collaborate and identify the students that need the additional support. But thank you for that. On that support piece, um, I appreciated hearing about the um, intervention strategies that you have in place. Mm -hmm. um, so when you're talking about these students who are um, being referred for the various interventions, like how I, I don't expect you to share the data, but I'm just curious, like how many students is this? Is this a relatively small number of students? Is it like a lot of students, and we don't need to know that yeah. now, but I'm just kind of interested um, to understand more about like how, I guess, the breadth and depth of those intervention strategies. Um, you know, for example, interested in, even just thinking about myself as a high school student, like are there many students who are only receiving support in one particular area that they're really struggling with or is it mostly students who are needing to receive those supports like across subject areas things like that um i think it varies from student to student and and we could always collect the data for the number of students that are referred to sst or case coordination um, but it really does vary I, I can't tell you that there's one schedule that works for every student we really we did a lot of work last year with cindy Taymor as a district and um how we have to, we, we go back to that equity and learning and, and personalizing everybody's experience. And that's what, that is what our system is doing. We talk about it in case coordination and at SST, um, and we revisit, we, we revisit that data every three to six weeks on those students to see what progress is being made. Um, I don't know if you have anything to add to that from your perspective. I, I just, I think it is different from student to student. I don't know. And I think collecting that data can be tricky right. too. Like that's, I will say that's one of the goals of the adjustment counselors right now is figuring out how we're actually collecting data. Because mm -hmm. um, we can say how many people referred to SST, how many you know people right. were we talked about in case coordination. Um, but you know, even when it comes to adjustment counseling, like people just walk in our door sometimes mm -hmm. too. And I'm not sitting there writing down every number of every kid that comes right. through. Like there's, they're not a number, they're a student, right? And so I think that's what's kind of tricky is at the end, we're always trying to figure out how are we actually collecting? Because mm -hmm. we have caseloads, we have students we meet with, but right. on a daily basis, we could have you know five, six, seven additional students walk in saying, I need help today. Mm -hmm. 
Sure. Yeah, that makes total sense. I think I'm just thinking about it in terms of helping, even helping the community like understand from many entry points, like what personalized learning mm-hmm. looks like, sounds like, feels like, you know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. um, this, I think, seems like a really great example of that ongoing work that's happening day in, day out that people may not even actually know is happening if they're not directly experiencing it, or even if they are, but, you know, it's just... And even if they are experiencing it, as a parent who has a student receiving these services, the magic of it is when it's successful, it's seamless. Exactly. It's just school. Mm -hmm. It's just math. It's just a grown-up to talk to who's supporting you through the day, whether it is somebody who has an official title as an adjustment counselor or an advisory teacher. And I think there is a lot of support that comes through the advisory program because it positions us to be the adult who isn't the parent and the adult who isn't the teacher. Mm -hmm. I've got nothing over you. I'm just here to support you through the day. So there are so many things that aren't reasonably measurable. Mm -hmm. But when students have good attendance, when they develop good coping skills, when they're willing to take increasing appropriate risks for their developmental age and outlook, then we know we're doing it well. And I think we're on a good path with all of that collectively. Uh, on the same line of the advisory program, I'm very curious that we, we also in our school have advisory programs. What is the ratio for teacher adult to student? It it ranges anywhere from one to fifteen to yeah. to nineteen. Fifteen to nineteen, somewhere in there. And generally, we keep the same students through the four years. Uh-huh. So I see my advisory students every day mm-hmm. for thirty minutes. For thirty minutes for four years. There are reasons that students leave an advisory. Mm-hmm. They take up a new program. They join the student leaders. Um, maybe classroom teachers change, and so there's a redistribution of students. But it's a really outstanding opportunity to know these young people as academics and as private people. So I, I want to commend you, obviously, on the progress that's been made. I think it, it's it's great, and on all the um, kudos you've gotten. <laughs> so it's great. Um, you know, obviously the data around uh, subgroup data continues to be concerning to me. And so sort of thinking how we can continue to um, hone in and focus on making sure that we don't leave students behind. That's uh, a definitely uh, a focus. But I'm wondering if you step back and think about this particular school year and think about the opportunities for uh, growth when it comes to the high school, whether it's in instruction, whether it's in climate, um, student relationship, what, whatever it is. Like if you were to say, these are the top three things that as the leader of the school, I want to focus my energy on. Wondering how you would, um, what, what, what would you say to that? I, I go back to student voice is very important to me. I want students to understand at the high school they have a voice they can come in with myself or any other staff member and, and know that what they say matters. We might not always agree, but let's have that conversation and, and, and support that. Mm-hmm. Teaching and learning. 
I, I feel that in the past few years, while we have been, and I said it at the start of this year, I think we've done a lot in the past few years, not just at Milton High School, but building community, building that sense of community back up after, um, after the pandemic. It's been hard. People have felt isolated. And I think we're getting to a point where that isolation isn't there. Um, there is still pockets of it that we still have to address. And we talked about that, you know, with, with the supports we can put into place. Um, but teaching and learning is my focus this year. And being in the classrooms and working with the teachers and the students to make sure that curriculum is aligned and the experiences in the classroom um, are what our students deserve. Thank you. I have a question regarding curriculum because you just mentioned that you are using the standardized format mm -hmm. or template for, for each subject area in the curriculum design. Um, I'm wondering if you guys come up with like core standards for different subject area. Um, and how does the report card language look like? Because I only see the report card language in the curriculum. Uh, Elementary school level. Yeah, I have to report card. So I'm just curious about that piece. I have to the good ones. <laughs> <laughs> I know it. <laughs> <laughs> Which kid you get to see? <laughs> <laughs> you decide. So I'm just curious about like, how does the curriculum tie to the core standards? So and what is the language that you use in the report card that the parents can like have anchors for? Like so that you mentioned about how different teachers might have different language towards similar things. So it says maybe standardized language about uh, meeting, meeting expectation, exceeding expectation, um, least improvement. So we aren't doing standard-based grading, but we have, we have, I can call it old school traditional report cards, right? Mm -hmm. But there are comments that we're working on, and it's interesting that you ask that because I just put on my agenda for tomorrow morning with my leadership team about report card comments. Oh, okay. And so... Um, how are you <laughs> <laughs> I think you were in my office earlier. Um, but, but those are conversations we have to have. We, we have to be able to streamline that conversation. That's going to come along with the work that we're doing yeah, yeah. Um, as part of our review that we'll be sharing with um, the committee back in, in next May. So. so just a comment on the high school and wondering, I just don't know historically, if we've ever talked about why high schoolers are starting at 7.50 in the morning <laughs> and developmentally we know what happens yes, to... Yes young people and their poor bedtime habits uh, as they get older. Um, just yeah. just wondering if ever as a district to just, you know, what we know developmentally uh, of, of that age group, it just feels I like feel we like could do better <laughs> for them. There was a conversation years ago about changing the time at the high school, adjusting the times. And, and I don't think it was just in Milton. Um, I was not in this position at that time. But what you run into, my understanding, some of what you run into are those after-school conflicts, after school. Yeah. right? So if we have that late start time, then, and there are some districts that run into this problem, athletics or extracurriculars that are starting at certain times, so you run into that. So I think it's, it is definitely something we, we can look at. I think a lot of students would like that. Um, <laughs> sure, it gets in the way of jobs, et cetera. But right, exactly. Developmentally, just, exactly. Uh, you yep. know. <laughs> so... Um, I've amazing presentation, and I am so impressed that 49 kids came back. That's huge. So kudos to all of you for the work that you are doing. Um, it's really, really nice to hear about how you're really connecting with the individual student. And I think it's such a tough age, right? Like, because they kind of pull away. And so I really appreciate you being not just an instructor, but like really just being there for them. So I like all the different ways you've supported the students. I'm just like really, really, it's really nice to get 
like a nice comprehensive presentation on that. And um, my, I do have one question on grading for equity. When we talk about diversifying ways students can demonstrate content knowledge, mm -hmm. because I have a child at home who will always take the easy way out, how do you encourage the child to put, you know, just like really like, hey, you can, you can probably try something that's a little bit more challenging or rigor, rigorous. I think the magic in that is designing instruction and assessments and providing one-on-one -on -one opportunities for conferencing or meeting in the classroom so that the student is guided okay. towards what is best. But there also has to be within a course a, a level of rigor for every student. So there are students who, because of their profile on an IEP, can't c complete the same kind of work. Take that student profile away. But if we're talking about the rest of the students who are in a college prep English class, the opportunities have to provide the same level of rigor. And then the teacher can lead the student towards something that's personally exciting or say, hey, you really dig this. Remember the other day when you talked about, what do you think? Could we try this? But there has to be rigor at the start of it. If you don't have that, then that student always has the opportunity to take an easy route and you're disservicing that student. And we don't want to disservice anybody. Great, thank you. I just have one more question on um, the uh, alumni. I mean, the class of 2023 data you shared yes. is great. It look, looks like 93% of students are going to either a four-year or a two-year school, and I'm not sure what the historical ones are, um, class data looks like. But I don't know if as a district or at the high school, we collect any information on alumni and like track their progress towards com degree completion right. to know Right, as an assessment of like, how is our high school doing at preparing uh, our students to succeed when they hit these four-year institutions? Are they graduating within four or five years? What's the percentage uh, um, success rate in that? And you know, that obviously takes time and staff and energy. And I, I don't know if we we have that uh, right now, but that's a question in my mind too, as we think about budget or we think about just how we're we're assessing how we're doing as a a town in developing our, our students to be really successful in those areas. Sure. That was actually a conversation we started last spring. <clears throat> and I, I look this way. Um, I forget <clears throat> the name of the um, platform that we would be using, but it was something that we spoke with with our data special, uh, Vivu, Dr. McKinney, myself, Ms. Meyer, in regards to how to track that information. It is a new conversation that we're having, but it is definitely one that we're starting to see how we can absolutely do that because we find that we, that would be very helpful data as well. Mm -hmm. Yes. I don't national clearinghouse. That's what it was. Thank yeah. you. But you can I mean it's not it's not comprehensive and that they don't get everybody, but it is the only data source I know of that other than doing it yourself, which is pretty challenging. That's right. Thanks for that. <laughs> Thank you. I will send you those updated slides. Sorry about that. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank, Thank you, you very so much. much. Thank you. Thank you as well. Right. We are still in my report. <laughs> I'm excited to welcome our community schools team.
who do tireless work day after day. Hi. Hello. How are you? And, Welcome back. Um, hello. Hello. Uh, right here. You're at the school. Slides are in the folder. And we're going to hear more. Thank you for your patience because you all have early days. Still always the first one. Yeah, we, we didn't know you guys do this every two weeks, so we kudos to you too. So we did it. Um, thank you. You want to introduce your team? Yes. Yeah. So thank you, first of all, for having us. Um, my name, I'm Martha Sandoval, uh, Community Schools um, Director, and with me are our before and after school supervisors. So if we can start over here. Oh, I'm Jesse Conley. I do the early school and after school at Tucker. I'm Katie Squarey, and I'm before and after at Clover. Lynn Bartolotti, I'm at the Cunningham before and after school. I did before and after school for Cogsock. My name is Sydney Sainsbury. So thank you again for having us. And um, we have a lot of information, so we're going to try to present it as quickly as possible and a very colorful and crazy um, presentation for you guys. Um, just a quick reminder um, that uh, of who we are. Milton Community Schools was established in 1980 to um, and in order to provide uh, to K-5 students extended day school and enrichment activities. Um, we spe specialize in out-of-school time programming, um, again, at the K-5 level, providing quality enrichment opportunities and social interactions in a safe environment. I think we can pretty much try to keep going. Yes, it's, you know what it is that the um, it's lights have a, um, some animation that might take a little bit of time. so. We can try to move this a little bit quicker. Thank you. Okay, so um, in the next the next slide. So some of our programs here, um, we love acronyms in uh, community schools. Um, ESAP and ACE are our early school arrival, which is our before school program, our after school arrival program, uh, early dismissal days or half days our school vacation camps that we run, one in December, one in February, and one in April, and our popular summer camp, um, summer camp, camp Cunningham, uh, which is a six weeks program. Okay, and then if we can go to the next slides. So, um, like I said, we have a lot of updates for you. Um, we have very good news and great, exciting um, improvements that we've made in the last um, few years since we came back from uh, the pandemic. One of them is that we increase our enrichment opportunities by um, adding more partnerships to, um, to our after-school program. So we have uh, some new ones and some returning ones. I, if you have children in our programs, you, I'm sure you're familiar with these. Uh, some of um, these classes um, that we run in the next slide, uh, give you a little example, some pictures of we have Super Soccer Stars, Steam, um, Nature Exploring, Engineering Challenges, Storytelling. We were very excited to bring back uh, Kids Test Kitchen, which they do a culinary and cooking nutrition program. It's very, very popular in um, our popular arts and crafts. Um, we, uh, this, this enrichment classes, this year we have a, 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 we started a pilot program where most of these classes are now included in our after school tuition. So they're not an additional cost to families. We're very, very excited about that. So if we can continue. Um, another um, 
great thing that we we've been doing this past year is to you know obviously look into strengthen partnerships with our families. Uh, here are some examples in addition to our weekly uh, newsletter communication where we showcase what we do on our programs. Um, we have uh, the supervisors here have taken initiatives to organize um, a few um, events with families. Um, this Friday, actually, all of you guys have your yep. engagement um, events with families. So if we can continue. So in terms of our... Uh, talent team or our staff. Uh, we have made some um, additional improvements in terms of our professional development. Um, this is a, a huge investment in terms of uh, the quality of, our, of the content um, in all of our professional development sessions. We, in the past year, uh, we partner up with Melton Public Schools um, employees and staff members and heads, heads of departments, um, school adjustment counselors, to provide um, training in these um, like safety and security, restorative <laughs> practices, um, calm classroom, behavior basics, CPR first aid, and, and more. And we're planning on expanding a little bit more. Um, another thing that we did, these before were not um, offered to the Milton High School students, uh, but now they are part of it. Uh, and they're, also sort of mandatory now. Yeah. So yeah. Um, another big investment that we made uh, for our staff um, is that in the recent um, past couple of years, our, the Milton Community School salary table is now tied to the M MPS, UNID, and HRS salary table to basically uh, guarantee yearly increases in step advancement for all staff. Um, last year, we got approved um, approval to for the unit Ds or educational assistants who work in our programs to get their MPS hourly rate match. Um, <coughs> our salary table gets an annual re review um, versus before it was every two or three years so our staff was not really getting any um, increases on a yearly basis. And um, another big thing that we did is that our up until 2022, our staff um, did not have any paid leave benefits. And now uh, all of our adults in our programs receive these benefits and they mirror very closely the um, Milton Public Schools uh, educational assistance um, contract. Okay, and then um, we have a, another one here in terms of our tuition assistant. Uh, we, um, our sliding scale chart now is in alignment with the EEC voucher program. So now more families can benefit from receiving tuition assistance um, instead of only a few. Um, we also were able to negotiate with our partner, uh, My School Bucks, which is our payment processor, to reduce the online payment processing fees from 4.95 to down to 2.6 in uh, community schools is also offsetting the cost of some of these increases. So parents who choose to make those payments online don't pay as much. Uh, obviously, we still have other options of payment if they choose not to um, have these additional fees. So um, those are some of our improvements in terms of where we are today. I actually went back and um, I found um, if you can, the next slide, it's our presentation that I did to the school committee back in just before COVID happened. And um, 
We were um, already looking into these areas of attention in terms of challenges with capacity and um, staffing, which is uh, one of the things that we were still um, having challenges with that. But just wanted to point that out. So on the left, like I said, um, for challenges, and then on the right-hand side is emerging solutions and what we were doing at the time. Again, this is in 2020. Um, to mitigate and help and address these challenges. I'm very proud to say that on most of them, we have uh, completed those uh, processes in, um, in the, even when we came back from uh, the pandemic. So if we can move to the next slide. So I do wanna talk to you guys a little bit about um, safety and our capacity. I know there were some questions about how community schools determines capacity in our programs. Uh, one of the things that I really want to point out that I think is important that um, we remember is that community schools shut down um, during the pandemic and about 130 employees were laid off. So our programs just restarted about two years ago, basically from scratch. If um, we can go next, we can show um, the total capacity when we came back from COVID, we started already at high numbers. Again, ACE is for after school program and ESAP is the before school program. So we gradually have been increasing capacity as we um, keep staffing the programs and have access to space. In the next uh, slide, we recently, actually if we do one more, we can get a little bit closer, here we go. So we did recently a comparison um, with other or, or similar districts in nearby or school-based programs um, in terms of what they do with capacity, the number of sites, whether they're licensed, their, um, their ratios and wait list. And we found that our numbers are almost double in terms of capacity, capacity at each site. Um, most of these programs I li are licensed even though they're school-based, um, meaning so some of programs um, were not required to be licensed by EEC. We choose to uh, be exempt, um, again, because we're a school-based program. However, if we were licensed, we will have to restructure the program completely. And I'm gonna talk a little bit more about that um, soon. So our student-adult ratio is pretty much in line with um, what other programs do, and that's the recommended ratio by EEC. That's our goal, unfortunately, because again, staffing right now and with the capacity and the numbers that we have in enrollment, uh, right now is looking more a little bit more like a 23 to one, 23 adult to one child staff, um, sorry, ratio. And then um, if we do one more, the next. Okay, so. Um, in terms of the wait list, we, um, for the before school program, we, um, since we opened registration back in June, uh, we have moved over 115 students have been moved off the wait list since June in both programs, the before and after school program. The before school program now, um, actually starting in November, we won't have a wait list. We, there were only five students at Glover that um, were just recently invited to join, so we the wait list for before school is going to be um, clear in November. We do want more. The after school program, we, st we do have a wait list. We have moved almost 70 students off the wait list, um, different locations. 
Last year, uh, we also had a wait list. And by December of 2022, we clear the wait list at all sites except for Cunningham. Cunningham remained um, with, the, with the wait list throughout the school year, unfortunately. And the numbers range between 26 and 34 students. We don't next. So that's that's just showing our after school utilizations. It remains a very high number at 90, 92% attendance um, five days as of last year. We move to the next, please. So another thing that we wanted to uh, also bring um, to your attention is um, the managing behaviors, we have seen a significant increase in adverse behaviors in the last couple of years. It is definitely now um, a large part of the work that we do, and obviously it impacts our ability to manage other aspects of the programs. Um, it also affects um, staff in terms of retention uh, and requiring high levels of ju uh, judgment from all the staff. Okay, if we can go to the next one. In terms of um, our finances, so um, again, our community schools continues to offer affordable tuition in comparison to other um, similar programs. Um, that is the hourly rate, the after school remains at around almost $6 an hour. The before school program is like $4 an hour, and we don't charge any registration fees compared to other programs. If we go to the next, please. So um, at the beginning, I mentioned the pilot enrichment program um, that we started this year. This initiative um, is an estimated cost of uh, 220K for, for this year. Uh, obviously, we just started the program. We're still working the logistics of it, and we will know exactly what the cost is towards the end of the school year. And again, this, this program, um, Community schools is, co is covering the cost of this program. It is not passed on to these family, onto, onto our families. And um, this chart shows here our financial assistance um, program and how much has been awarded in the last couple of years, <coughs> and the number of families that have been benefited. Obviously, this year is still ongoing. So um, in terms of space, um, these are just, we just put together a little chart um, of the spaces that we currently use in the before and after school programs, such as the, and these are the common areas in schools, cafeterias, libraries, gyms, our rooms, and well, music rooms, just in a couple of the schools. Mm -hmm. um, and how the, in theory, um, community schools, um, rents these spaces um, when the programs are in session, uh, and while we try to be as cooperative and accommodate other groups, very often we're required to share this space and, re and relocate to um, other areas in the building. Um, and this could be for various reasons. Sometimes it's you know rainy days, um, school events after hours, staff meetings, uh, elections, extracurricular activities, um, after school um, activities organized by the PTO, such as CAS or Tucker and Richmond, Etc. Ok, 
Okay, so um, just wanted to show you here. Um, this is the the uh, staff that compose the MCS. Um, it's between supervisors, assistant supervisors, group leaders, um, our adults staff, our um, high school counselors, specialists, uh, nurses in our administrative team. That's the uh, at the beginning the number that we had pre-COVID. We were um, we had about 134 employees again that unfortunately with the pandemic were let go and we slowly have been increasing um, our staffing to get back to where, where we were and that's where we are right now. The next please. So in um, after school we have 27 um, adult group leaders that um, include also uh, 15 educational assistants from Milton Public Schools and we wanted to show you this chart of out of how many people actually work every day. Out of the 27, we have six people working five days, which makes that a little bit of challenge, challenging and to meet our um, student uh, staff ratio. We also have obviously some, some challenges like everybody else in terms of absences, turnover, and burnout. Um, our staff turn turnover every school year is about 30%. So we talk about between 30 to 40 positions that we have to hire every every year. Also our- Is that out of the 75 staff? I'm sorry? You said 30 out of the 75. About 30% 30, 30 of the staff. Our high school students, um, they come and go throughout the school year, due to sports and extracurricular activities. So that's also coverage that we need. We always try to um, find and um, cover. So, um, sorry, the next slide, please. Our recruitment efforts, there's a lot of information here, but basically in the, in the last three years, um, just for our adults, we've we have received in process of over a thousand applications, connected more than 800 candidates, um, set up over 300 interviews and conducted about 150 remote and in-person interviews um, just to meet their recommended ratio of 13 to one. Um, our, our goal is to hire obviously more staff, more adults, more instructors, um, support staff, assistant supervisors and, and nurses all five days a week. So with the nurses, um, in back into 2018, we got approval to have nurses in after school, and um, it took us just about over a year to fill those three positions. Um, but we have very good news that we recently got approved uh, three part-time um, unit eight nurses eligible for benefits just dedicated to after school. Positions have been posted online, and we're we're very excited about this. Hopefully, we'll attract more candidates. Okay, so um, this is again. This is to summarize. Um, we know um, that we have some challenges um, in terms of space and behavioral management, and our biggest is staffing. Um, what we're doing right now to mitigate these uh, these challenges in in um, between, I'm sorry, I'm a little hot here. Um, if you go to the next one, 
please. Thank you. So this is, these are our um, staffing needs under our current capacity. Um, we need at least 18 more adult group leaders for support staff to nurses, assistant supervisors, and high school students um, just to meet the desired ratio um, under our current capacity. So for future expansion, and I know there's a lot of questions about what we're doing to add students off the wait list and to serve all the students who wanna to come to the programs. Um, we are looking into, we will definitely need to rework our, the structure of the programs, keeping safety obviously as a priority. Um, there is, a, and it's important, to, important for you guys to know and everyone to know that there's, um, it's not a fact yet, but there's rumors that at the state level that all school-based programs, um, out of school time programs, including before and after school, are gonna be re regulated under EEC. And if that happens, we need to be prepared for that and in, in get in line with, um, with th what those regulations will look like. Um, we're looking at smaller groups. Um, it will be a very similar uh, structure of what we do for Camp Cunningham, which is, um, again, it's a, groups of 13 students, an adult and an assistant. Um, obviously, we will need staff five days a week. Um, we will need to increase the support staff, um, hire uh, substitutes and floaters, all the staff required to be licensed, and um, basically guaranteed nurse coverage. Um, the guaranteed access to a space, including classrooms, and the, under the, the EEC license, the requirement is uh, a space of 35 square feet per child. So we're, we will have to go back and take a look at the cost implication on this. So um, I don't have that information for you today, but that's a project that I will be working on in the next couple months. And that will be it. That's what we have for you today. <laughs> I feel like that's under very negative compared to everybody else. <laughs> Don't worry, you're still cooking with Jess on half days. Thank you so much. Uh, <laughs> I see the look. Sorry. <laughs> we just had a moment. Yeah. <laughs> I'd love to talk about the capacity. I know there was a slide that talked about, you know, you needed 18 of one group and it was you had some totals there. And I I recognize that every industry is having shortages now. Mm -hmm. And it's whether it's we can't we can't have we don't have enough buses for our kids, we don't have after school and before school spots. I don't know if we need to look at this as a challenge for the town and not just the schools and see where we might be able to partner with community providers because at this point there's a stalemate that people aren't there to hire. Like there's a shortage of teachers, a shortage of nurses, it's just our new reality. And it feels like the burden has been left at the, at the feet of, of many providers. But I do think it's worthwhile trying to broaden the scope of this discussion and see if there's any other resource that we can use to help our families. Because I know many people who are fortunate to have been able to log on within that first one hour, mm -hmm. like myself, mm -hmm. I was able to get a seat. But for any working parent who might be in a classroom or is in a meeting, they miss that window. 
and that mm-hmm. was it. So I think it's worthwhile maybe when we have a cross meeting with the select board to raise that as a, a town-wide issue mm-hmm. and maybe we can get more help so we're just not, um, we're not shouldering, shouldering the entire burden ourselves. When we spoke to the um, other districts in similar programs uh, and we asked them about their capacity and not only the license limitations in terms of uh, ratios, but they they said that they have other programs like a YMCA or the Boys and Girls Club in, in their town. Um, so don't. that, and we don't. So that's that's part of, you know. That speaks get, to that, yeah. Yes, completely. yes. We gave you a lot of information. Mm. So. <laughs> I have a few, I'm sorry. Um, I, I had an uh, initial question of the, the staffing numbers of 135 people back in 2019, 2020. How many, do you know how many kids we were serving? We were serving yeah. about 600 students in after school. Okay. Um, mind you that back then the structure was a little bit different. Mm-hmm. The students could sign up or families can sign up for different days a week. Yep. And so altogether it was about 600 students. But that came every day, the numbers varied a lot. And uh, we had more staff at the time that were working Monday through Friday. So it, it was a little bit easier to manage back then. Um, right now we're having that issue with not everybody wanted to work Monday through Friday. Um, one of the things that we're doing is that um, educational assistants where their contract was increased, their hours were increased on some of them are now, or most of them are at 35. So we are actually paying them over time. And um, that was agreed to pay to be paid until November. We're probably going to extend that until we're able to keep recruiting more adult staff. Can the job posts for the community schools be posted at the public school website? Yes. We have postings on School Spring, on Indeed. Um, we are also partnering up with um, Curry College, and we're actually uh, planning on reaching out to a couple more. We also post on, um, it's called Handshake, which is um, a college recruitment and, um, system, on online system as well. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because you guys partner with Curry College, it's right next like, down the street. And then the high school is partnering with the Quincy College, right? <laughs> so I was just like, do you guys like talk to each other at all? Like, no, that was, a, that was cost. Curry was more expensive yeah. than Quincy, and that's why they we, uh, we explored that and didn't go that route at I that see. time, but yeah. Now we have to do with how much the rent is. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. That's interesting. I didn't know that. Um, and going back to the enrollment piece, I know that uh, you mentioned about before the pandemic, we have parents can able to choose a couple days instead of the whole five days. Mm-hmm. And um, I know that some parents that I spoke with and they mentioned about even if having two days or three days a week that the kids can attend after school, that would be hugely in helping the work schedule because a lot of the parents still working from home two days or three days a week. So a lot of families were saying that, oh, if we have the flexibility of choosing just two or three days instead of all five days, in, we might be able to service more families in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so, what, what, what do you think about that suggestions, or would would it be doable? So th- that's again, that's how we were in the past, and we found that. Uh, well, it was also, and I want to actually, uh, Lynn can speak about that because um, Lynn not only has been here 
longer than all of us here together, but yep. um, also in terms of safety and how that was a game changer. Um, and we did a survey last year, well, the last couple of years, and I guess it, it was on the slides, 92% of the families utilize the program Monday through Friday. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, obviously we're not saying no, that could be definitely a possibility if there's a need in, in we can definitely do a little bit more um, of research in the near future, uh, but you can let them know. One of the things I do want to mention that I've noticed over the years, I've been here for a little bit, is the ages that we're having now. We used to have fourth, fifth grades, we'd be heavy with those. We've got a lot of the young kids now. Um, and we also have the kindergarten with us. Kindergarten used to be separate, and the kindergartners are babies. They, they need a lot of attention. Um, I feel safer with a set schedule of five days. Um, it was doable, but we would get a different attendance every single day. Mm -hmm. And trying to keep track between whether they weren't coming that day and the parent forgot to mention it to you, which happens, people get busy, or cast classes started. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of scrambling at the end of the day yeah. to make sure you've got everybody that's supposed to be with you and safe. So mm -hmm. it's, it's a lot of work and it's a little, causes a little anxiety because it is a different schedule every single day if everybody gets to pick. So I feel more confident when they sign up for all five days because it just, and, and we've seen it this year too, it's, they're utilizing it, they're coming the five days. And not only that, but it's also the, um, the relationships with the families yeah. have increased way more versus what we had students will come just once a week for karate, for example, that uh, you will never, really see the families or talk to them or we, we didn't have those connections um, and it was a safety issue. We uh, had a couple of incidents where kids went and rode the bus or there were walkers went with another family um, and it was because of all the, the moving parts um, of those schedules. But um, yeah, we're not saying no, it could be that maybe uh, we looked at the possibility of going um, back to say Monday through Friday or the option of set three three set days like monday yeah. wednesday friday and then or tuesday, tuesday thursday. or thursday mm -hmm. yes but again we would have to look at staffing yes that would add more kids on those days and we'd have to make sure that we can yeah. you know, on a little account for the level. safety and where they are right um sure. there is a level of customer service i like to say um when a parent comes in i want to be able to know who their child is not have to say well can you describe it to me? And it, takes a bit, and it takes a bit to get to know that, that little yeah. person and you know develop yeah. a relationship with them. And it's, it's super important. I can't tell you how important it is. I, I mean, I have some of my families here. I think you, I make you feel comfortable when you come in and you know that I know who your student is. Yeah. yeah. So um, one question maybe I misunderstood when you presented to us last year for the school committee. And the way I understood the rationale for um, embedding the partners that you have, like the super soccer, the chess, it's chess, et cetera, all of those enrichment classes and embedding it into the actual offering of the program, making it universal for everyone, was that in some way it was gonna add capacity how has have the partners added capacity at all, or are they just extras, extra bodies in, you know, in the in the in the building at any given time? But they haven't necessarily added capacity. That makes sense. So we definitely would, that was one of the goals to um, 
increased capacity with the, these vendors coming in. Um, it is still a pilot program. We just started it. And the intention is for all of the students to participate in all these programs. Um, so they can rotate and the supervisors can tell you just in the few weeks that we're, we're in how challenging it's been trying to keep track of the students so then everybody gets opportunities. Um, definitely if we're, we're trying to find a rhythm and a balance or how we can make it work so everybody has the chance to try this out. Maybe it could be that in the future the kids say, well, I'll go or I don't want to go. Mm -hmm. we, we we're still trying it out. But until then, we can't really say, okay, we now say, you know, with having chess and um, Taekwondo, mm -hmm. now we can increase and add another 20 students on that day, that specific day. We're not there yet. We're, we're still analyzing how we can make the program work. And how about a uh, second question is coordination between the cast programming in the after-school uh, programming as well, because if a kiddo is already in after-school and I'm just, they're, they're being cared for. <laughs> so I can tell you that when CAS opened up in my school, shoot, was I, I was on my computer <laughs> at six o'clock making sure. And then because my husband's computer glitched and so we did not get a, a, a slot in the after school. So I was there at my computer at six o'clock and then I was like, husband, no. you know, oh, that <laughs> close, right? Um, so, but you know, just, to, just in terms of like at that point, I realized that, and, and I had other folks calling me and sort of saying, I feel like I'm competing with those kids that are already involved, you know, in, in, uh, in the after school. And so uh, to me, there seems to be just for those of us who are working parents who do need sort of that extra hour or whatever, I just didn't, it, just some sort of coordination for us to think about as a system that we probably could add capacity to our offerings if there was some more co coordination. Obviously, that's just or a thought. Like I don't think it's up to you, but it's something to think about. for weight, like for, if you're already in ASC, you can't sign up for CAS. Okay. Like get first dibs on the after, like Correct. the after yeah. school enrichment yeah. through. That's I mean that may, kind of makes sense. But yeah. I know that's beyond. beyond yeah. Yeah. No, and that's definitely a coordination piece, right? And and I know each school has their own schedules too. Yeah. Um, like like whoever hasn't started yet. Um, We've took, already you started. You just started. We like, started. You just started this yeah. week, like, and we you started too. right in October, yeah, like the first October. week of October. So yeah. and then different people run it and different teachers. So we're it, right. but it's a it's a coordination. Um, definitely speak speak to them about how we can help each other because that also affects us in a way. Um, yeah. Like yeah. sharing classrooms, sharing the gym. Right. I know yeah. Sydney at attendance. Yeah, probably got it. Yeah, we have first and to take attendance in the classroom. And the the ace kids can't go into the cafeteria until the cafeteria is cleared of the bus kids. So they hang out in the classroom and then there's a cast class that's happening mm -hmm. at the same time. Mm -hmm. So it gets mm -hmm. really confusing, it's really rowdy the rooms. I get some complaints with the teachers. Mm -hmm. So it's just kind of kind of tough. Um, <laughs> but I try to get them quickly out of the classroom as possible so the cast kids can continue doing whatever class they have that day. Um, you shared some data on like comparison uh, with other programs. When you were reaching out to those programs, did you hear anything about um, 
pay differentials and like how, you know, obviously we've done, as you shared some uh, things to improve compensation to make these roles more attractive in hiring to get back up to where we want to be as it relates to staffing. Do, do we know how we are stacking up in that area? And do we have any data from, you know, you talked about however many interviews you've done, you know, from the ones that have declined offers at least, like do we have any data on why folks aren't, aren't able or willing to move forward with the roles? Um, lots of the time, it's not so much the hourly pay, it's the benefits piece of it, um, is that there's no guarantees an hourly rate too. So when school is out or holidays or we're not in session, they don't get paid. Um, that was the, the biggest one. Um, not enough hours. Um, they're looking for more, uh, at least four, four hours a day, 20 in a week, um, which will make them eligible for benefits. And that's a whole other conversation with um, the town for, for paid, um, uh, sorry, eligible benefits positions. Um, but that was the main feedback. In terms of other um, districts and what they're doing, I think we're pretty much in, in line with what they're paying. In fact, I think we, we are paying a little bit more in some of them. A um, couple of, of those programs have a, a pre-K or childcare program full day. So they have full day staff and yeah. that helps them. They get their full time with benefits staff that uh, basically start in the morning with the pre-K, but they also stay on for the after school program. So that, that helps them a lot with staffing, but their capacity is much, much uh, mm -hmm. less than ours. Mm -hmm. Structured differently too. <clears throat> I remember in the past, some of the cafeteria staff would also serve in after school, but I don't know if, if there's still that level of interest. I have one. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I have one. <laughs> yes, and, and a couple probably a talker. And, and we have, we've been, we reach out to everybody in, in cafeteria, um, lunch aids, um, we, we every time actually with we coordinate with central office in Laurie Dunn uh, when uh, she has applicants from uh, for these positions for the lunch aid positions she actually tells them checking with community schools because they're hiring for after school program so for for actually a while we've been trying to see if we can somehow uh, combine those two jobs to make it a full time position mm -hmm. um, eligible for benefits and why not and it's a no brainer right they know the kids are already in there in school and then it's basically just one hour in between where they can take the break and then come back for after school mm -hmm. um, but I think that there's a little bit more of complication in because uh, they're union employees in uh, community schools it's not mm -hmm. and we are we made the change to pay time and a half too for employees that Correct. Wanted to, right. you know, do 30 hours in MPS and then also mm -hmm. work at community schools. And yeah. we are doing that. And we actually been reaching out and, and people that we know say, hey, do you want to come in? They're like, it's a long day. I can't do it. Mm -hmm. And we, we get it. Or they say, I can only do two days. We'll take it. We'll do it. Mm -hmm. So that, that's what that chart looked like. You know, yeah. six people are really full day, Monday through Friday, but then it varies throughout the week. So it's, it's finding those, um, and, and this is not new. We did this before COVID. We had 130 something people on payroll, but we were patching up schedules. But uh, at least there was a little bit more consistency with the adult staff. And uh, right now we're definitely lacking on that. And, and we're trying to find ways to improve so we can attract and 
get more um, qualified candidates. Is your program priced to break even? Yes, it is. Um, I know there is, um, we haven't increased the fees, uh, the tuition significantly um, in the last few years, and we're not planning on it. Uh, we've been carrying a surplus, which you guys are aware of, um, and, and reason why we're trying to come up with these new initiatives to, to use that money for, uh, to improve the program. But um, yeah, it's, the, it's actually less. We will, if we were to um, charge uh, less. less, it will, will definitely be on the loss. Like I can tell you, summer camp, the Camp Cunningham, it's always at a loss, but he helped with the after school tuition. Subsidizes the program. Yeah, yeah it looks like it is. Yeah. No, if anything, I would say as we go into the budget process for next year, we think of creative ways to. To utilize the money that helps families, especially given um, the profit margin that's here. Mm -hmm. Yes, and we, we're always open to ideas and suggestions for sure. Thank you. <clears throat> I, I just want more question before I ask it. I just want to shout out Ben and just the amazing job that she does uh, at Cunningham. And Miss Jess. I, I'm sure everybody else is straight, but I don't mean to pick favorites, but I'm We had our it. moment. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, I, the behavioral stuff, and I've seen some of the emails uh, from you. Um, how does that compare to last year? Do you all have a sense of like where that comes from? Is that more now the younger kids because now you're serving more younger kids or is there a connection a pattern with increased behavioral issues at those schools that the principals are seeing? I'm just, you know, or is it just a matter of, again, sheer numbers? Now we're at 510 kids and so you just I can't keep as the, many the, the shortage of the staff to help. I think it's probably a combination of both. Uh, the younger, more, the higher numbers of the younger people and not having enough adult staff to keep an eye on them. But it's, this is, it's a little off. I haven't seen this much behavior right. in quite some time. There's a lot of aggression, some physical yeah. aggression, mm -hmm. just stuff that, you know, really needs to be addressed. It's, um, we, we've, we're seeing it in school too, because we, the, the supervisors speak to the teachers, principals, um, adjustment counselors, and it's, it's usually that, yeah, okay, yes, it's the same, uh, behavior um, in school and, and after school, right? So we're, we're we're trying to come up with different ways how we can. We, can. we actually hired. Um, uh, she's she just started interning at the uh, high school uh, with the uh, one of the adjustment counselors, and she's been um, coming to help our our programs and observe our students who might struggle and need that extra support. So we're plan we're um, she's planning on a. I'm sorry, a uh, incentive program um, that we're planning on implementing in the next couple of weeks. So there will be at three different levels. So be um, specific incentive programs for those students who struggle. Um, then it will be um, more of a personalized personalized reward program for children to be recognized for going above and beyond. And then a collective effort. So like let's say they get an ice cream pie if the whole uh, group or program, um, you know, does very well. So we're, we're exploring different ways to um, mitigate that, but we haven't seen that um, as, as bad as other years. Mm -hmm. That's a national 
issue that's not unique to to community schools, to Milton, to anywhere else. I mean, that's something that we've seen collectively across the country. And you know, safety is our number one priority. We always say it, and um, yeah. like it's important that those as the staff um, student ratio are met. Um, we're gonna try to get there. Soon. Mm -hmm. So if you guys know anybody looking for a job. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Do you guys want to come and work with us? I see um, six on. right here. I Are see you, six right there. Hiring 10-year-olds. Right. I mean. <laughs> what did you say? Just hire, hire those kids off the wait list. <laughs> Very responsible. <laughs> and you can pay them less. She <laughs> could be paired up with one of your kiddos, you know? She'll be great individualized attention. I mean, if you guys want to come and volunteer too, you're welcome. <laughs> that idea. I did come once, for, once for basketball. I don't think y'all will have me back. Yeah, why not? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for everything you're doing. Thank you. It's the same night as for staying so late to. Oh, it's I am there, Miss Jess. Yeah, because you know, I want to snack. And the whole snack table. I will be there. Thank you for the invite. Right. Good job. I know, right? <laughs> Have a good night. Yeah, to the right. You've got this. I know. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Safe for college. You'll pad that resume, right? You got a competitive environment out there. A volunteer, she's gonna get paid. <laughs> Less than minimum wage. What about moving facilities out of yeah, that's a good idea. Good night. Good night. Thank you. I think we make it last. <laughs> do you want to come up? I think I think we do the Jimmy think, Kimmel where we we just go to the end and then don't actually don't bring them up. Why don't we have facilities come up now? Yeah. You've waited. Ah, it's okay. You've only waited two hours and fifteen I love minutes facilities. so far. Okay. Nice to see you again. Nice oh, I'm sorry. It's my, it's my thing. Sorry. Um, all right. So this is the Facility Advisory Committee report. Um, well, I'll jump into the rest of the report after, but first I uh, hand it over to Chris for the capital request, which we all received. Uh, we reviewed this, just for framing, we reviewed this um, uh, the facility capital request uh, just earlier today at 5.30 uh, our meeting, uh, so Chris has been here a long time. Oh, wow. Oh, my God. So uh, we appreciate that. Um, so we had initial conversations about it. Um, again, Chris was kind enough to share this at our last month, uh, a previous prior iteration of this, and then brought it back um, and, and chatted about it as a group. Um, didn't take any kind of vote on it or anything like that, but um, did have some initial conversations. So. I'll turn over to you if there's any other do you want to uh, well well so chris hayden director of consolidated facilities for the town of milton um, and so just wanted to sort of uh, we have a lot of items on this list for the next four or five years but uh sort of inheriting this uh 
fiscal year budget um, is sort of, I'm looking at some of the low hanging fruit that we can take care of and make changes in our schools right away. So you're gonna see on this, on this list, um, uh, bottle filling stations. Uh, there were, we're lacking bottle filling stations throughout our schools. Kids have you know, empty water bottles. We should be able to, yes, right? So we should be able to <laughs> fill those properly. Um, and during COVID, you know, attempts were made to get bottle filling stations, but um, they were not really commercial brand. So I have no way to service them. I can't change filters. They're breaking on us. So mm. it's, it's, it's now time to install commercial brand bottle filling stations throughout all of our public schools. Um, and that is just, that's just the need. So this, this on our budget, uh, I've got each, uh, each school um, itemized, uh, letting us know how much it costs uh, to, to do that. Uh, some schools need two, some schools need five, some the high school need, uh, I think it's about eight or nine mm -hmm. uh, units to complete that. So, so I've got that drawn out on this, uh, this uh, capital project. Also, there was a, during COVID, there was an attempt to make all of the school windows operable, right? I mean, but that is, that's something that sort of was in a phased approach. I look at it as next year is the, the approach we should take. We should take to sort of complete that task. Every window should be operable in our, in our classrooms, right? So that's just sort of the standard. So, um, so those are some low hanging fruit. Um, as a overall, come fiscal year 26, 27, 28, you're gonna see more of a comprehensive uh, budget as I sort of start looking at air conditioning units or lack there of air conditioning units. Uh, but you know, other rooftop equipment as our schools are now hitting 20 years old uh, and renovations happened back in 20, uh, 2003, 2006. So our equipment will be failing shortly. Um, so, but right now I have not had time to sort of gather all that information, I'm working on that now. So you'll see more an itemized list uh, of fiscal year budgets going forward. So for the fiscal year 25, uh, for the schools, right now I have bottle filling stations and, and operable windows, just getting those fixed. Mm -hmm. um, District-wide, we're, we're looking at uh, um, buying three uh, floor scrubbing sort of sweeper machines for the elementary schools. Right now our schools uh, Pierce and the high school, we share that equipment with our elementary schools, which means that unit has to be loaded onto a truck, yeah. the truck over to the elementary schools, uh, which means the floors are being cleaned, the hallway floors are being cleaned sort of in a haphazard manner, whereas we just want to get every, every school their own piece of equipment so they can clean as needed uh, on a weekly basis uh, you know, or on a daily basis as needed. Um, on this budget, you'll also see we've got uh, earmarks for uh, exterior door improvements. We've got uh, doors that are sort of rusting, not closing properly. So there's a security and safety issue there. Um, so it's, so I've, I've earmarked some funds to continue the process. We're doing doors here. We're replacing doors up at the high school. But there will be doors at Calicot and Tucker uh, that need replacement as well. And these are just doors that are, once again, they're 20 years old. Uh, the ice, the salt from snow, the weather, these doors are rusting. Um, so they just need to be completely replaced. Uh, so that's just sort of another safety aspect of it. Um, and then we'll uh, uh, sort of fiscal year 25, um, I've got flooring. Uh, that will just be sort of uh, stair treads. We have some uh, students who have a visually impaired. So it's my goal to, to upgrade our, uh, replace uh, stair treads uh, throughout the elementary schools. Uh, and then the middle school and the high school. Um, so that, that will help though. And if there's any carpets, trip hazards, you know, throughout any, any spaces throughout the, the, the school campuses, it, this, these, this fund will help me replace that floor uh, and prevent any safety hazards. 
Uh, and then we have uh, uh, so looking for an uh, engineering engineering assessment. So this is as I start to dig deeper into every piece of rooftop equipment, all of our boilers, all of our um, roofs, you know, sort of. Uh, but HVAC equipment, there's a lot out there um, on, on all six buildings, and sort of, um, and all of it is coming to age within the next five years. So every building it will have you know, rooftop equipment that's going to be over 20 years old. My goal is to get in a consultant tier uh, to help me sort of look at all the pieces of equipment and sort of prioritize, all right, you know, this is 21 years old, this is 23 years old, um, but the one that's 20, you can get another five, six years out of that, but the one that's 23 years old, you've got to probably another two years out before you need a replacement. So, and we're talking a lot of pieces of equipment, moving equipment, uh, so it's really imperative that I sort of bring a consultant in to sort of get a grasp of what I own. Um, and sort of and sort of prioritize it. So then for fiscal year 26, 27, 28, I can actually put the piece of equipment specifically down. Not just H, now I just won't say HVAC equipment, but I'm actually gonna call out the piece. I'll show you the picture of it and say, this is why we need to replace it. Because right now it's too generalized for me and I think it, it's, it's better for us to be more specific because I need, you know, budgets are tight and I need to come to you and sort of say, this is priority A. These are the three top we need to pick. And then B and C, we can sort of push off to further years. So, um, yeah. May I ask a clarification yes. question? So when I see fiscal years 26 through 28, this is what you inherited. This isn't what you came up Correct. with. Correct. These are, these are numbers that my predecessor had before. Uh, so And these are numbers that you know I'll sort of hone in and fine tune. And you're going to see a lot more line items um, as I get those numbers in. So starting uh, once, this, once this fiscal budget goes forward and is approved, uh, it's my goal to sort of start working on what I see for next fiscal year to start bringing contractors in to sort of, uh, but the consultant would be a good start because then I know which pieces of equipment are really about to fail and I can get numbers on replacement. So then when I'm sitting here next year, I actually have those true numbers for you and then I can actually have true numbers for 27, 28. Uh, so we can sort of go out. So, um, so you're gonna see the, there's a there's a large difference between what was asked for. I think uh, last mm -hmm. year it was a million, uh, or seven hundred. Um, you know, there's some paving, uh, some stuff that I just didn't see as a priority. Uh, so I just simply took them off. I mean, sort of. A, I I need to really start prioritizing what is best for the schools. Paving is paving, yes, but I don't see any major potholes out there. I don't see anything causing any trip hazards for. Uh, any uh, handicapped patrons coming to the schools. So right now, you know, I sort of took that off of this fiscal year. We'll push it down. But eventually, yes, 10 years, five years down the road, we may have to repave Tucker parking lot or Glover or something. So, but right now, we are, we're in good shape. Uh, I think we've sort of hit a plateau. Everything is running well for us. So, so I look at um, this budget for this year, and it's really that low-hanging fruit of, that can make big changes for our students. Uh, and, and providing water and having teachers and, uh, to be able to open and get fresh air because uh, we did have you know a hot September mm -hmm. right and so those and it, it, it's imperative that those windows open mm -hmm. not just two out of six windows all six <laughs> windows should be operable so um, so that's what that's why this budget may seem small uh, for the item list but it's important because it's it's something that's gonna be face forward that they'll notice first day of school next year mm -hmm. So with things like, um, I noticed in the memo, thank you for writing that, because yeah. the narrative helped describe what we're, we're looking at. There was some consideration for subdividing classrooms to, to address overcrowding. 
Was there a specific site or room that you were targeting based on the data you have, or was that just an estimate? Oh, is this the configure room configuration? This must have been the room configuration. It's like the, I think it was the last yeah. item in the memo. Yeah, I'm sorry, room yeah, configuration. Yeah, so those, that money is earmarked for, yes, if, if, uh, if a classroom is designated to be sort of split in two or, or a new classroom is to be created out of some space we've uh, we found, that is sort of that re room can reconfiguration money fund will be used for that purpose. So I'll say I have to build three walls, I have to move some sprinklers, put proper ventilation, lighting. So that money would be used for that purpose. Uh, so um, right now we have, we have classrooms uh, that have openings above the doors. So I'll be using that money to sort of put a proper door in to close it off. So the noise from the hallway isn't leaking into the classrooms. Because once again, COVID put a lot of strain and pressure on Let's get some partitions up and build things. Uh, I'm just, this, these funds are really to sort of help complete that task and to make the walls go all the way to the ceiling or make the, the opening for the door completely you know, closed. So, and so it's just a door opening and not an open opening above the door. So that's what those funds are for. And, and I'll jump in like that. This is, again, we just had a conversation of this a couple hours ago. Uh, so, you know, the facility advisory committee chatted about that very kind of item. And we obviously, as I reported to the committee um, a month ago at this point, or I'm sorry, two weeks ago, on uh, last month, we did a tour of all the facilities. Mm -hmm. And so we're just able to kind of debrief that today and uh, share some of that feedback. Um, with Chris and uh, obviously Chris did the tour with us and so talked through that. So um, we gave some feedback as related to this, this document and some of the things that um, maybe we would like to see added or, or changed related to some of those things that came in. So I just, for, for context, I know the agenda says vote. I would uh, encourage that we actually don't take up a vote on this just yet and we kind of table that until next committee meeting and then um, my hope would be that Chris is able to take some of the feedback from kind of our discussion, see if we can revise this just a little bit more so we have a, a strong um, you know, number to kind of carry forward into the capital things. I think I want to shout out Chris for the fact that this is a very, my impression is like a, a conservative budget. I mean, you look at this compared to uh, what the projected from his predecessor was for FY25, and it is... <laughs> You know, about four hundred thousand dollars less, um, and then you know it's even less than what the proposed was for last year before that was cut down. So, um, you know, I really appreciate that about Chris, uh, but uh, also want to make sure that we're being clear from a budget perspective with whoever we're presenting this to of like this is really what we need in order to meet these goals. And then from there, if the funding is not available, we can have the conversation of what are we prioritizing and what. Mm -hmm. What are we not able to provide to our students, to our staff, to their community, if we don't get this funding? And like these are these are the impacts of that, and just make that clear for folks, um, because obviously we do live in a reality where the finances will will impact this eventually. But want to make sure we start from a place. In, in my opinion, we talked about this as a committee is start from a place where we are being at least clear of all the things we are, the goals we have uh, from a facility perspective. So I guess along those lines, I'm wondering if in the district-wide engineering services for HVAC assessment, um, many, I think, of the spaces in our schools are, they have the heating, but they don't have the AC. Correct. And so to what extent would this analysis get us to understanding and incorporating, right, the reality of climate change and the impact that's having in the school year? 
and what it would take for us to, uh, I think, get back to the comments that I heard from the first presenter when I walked in, of like being ready as a as a district uh, for for the climate changes we're seeing. Correct. So the, 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 these fundings, I feel, would cover that assessment. Um, so we're so the I've talked to a, an engineer who has worked with our buildings and our schools uh, and uh, have provided sort of any uh, rebates uh, mm -hmm. and sort of looking at uh, air conditioning and putting cooling in our classrooms. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, every each school is a little different, right? Yep. Lover is different than Tucker and Tucker is different than Calicut. So every building would require something a little different for cooling purposes. Um, but we were looking at on the lines about $35,000 per classroom. Per classroom. Per classroom, yes, because you, you have a you know you can put a million dollar chiller on the roof and you still have to get duct work. You've got to get all the piping and electrical in place. So it's not just it's not just putting you know air conditioning into it. It's you have to think about all the infrastructure that goes in place. Yeah. So um, so about thirty five thousand dollars is sort of you know it's probably a conservative number um, and but you know I say that but it could go down. You know you look at. Glover, which is a one-story building, so that could be a little bit easier to cool. Tucker is a pretty nice rectangular building, so it's got a lot of ceiling heights, so a lot of real estate to put ductwork. So things could go fairly simple. It's a process that could happen, so that number could go down. Um, but just talking to somebody over the phone, somebody who knows our school, the layout, the plans, knows what we're running for equipment, um, you know, sort of said, you know, I would earmark about thirty-five thousand dollars per classroom if you were to literally seriously put air conditioning into each one. The other thing that I just think we need to be cognizant of is that, you know, the, the, the town has kind of been talking back and forth about an override and that conversation, conversation is continuing. So, you know, in the context of an ask in 26, 27, and what if this is indeed an override year? That changes the the dynamics of this budget in ways that you know, if, if there are things that are really pending in twenty six that we need and we're planning for in twenty six, it, it might be harder in twenty six than in twenty five. So that's just something for us to I think be thinking about and talking about. Mm -hmm. That's where we're at with that. Thank you. This was helpful. But uh, you know, understand, I'm a parent with two boys in the public school, so I'm invested on both sides of the fence here. <laughs> no, and, I, and thank you for organizing the information this way because yeah. it's so much yeah. easier to follow. Exactly. Thank you. And, and like I said, there'll be more details to come. Um, I just, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm visiting each school, each roof, each PC unit, getting the age and understanding how old it is, what it does, what it services, what areas, and that. Um, and that's information I'll share with everybody um, so you guys have an understanding of, of what I'm looking at. So mm -hmm. you understand that this air handler unit serves the, the library or this serves the, you know, the, the, the music room. So it's, it's information that's important for us to go forward, <clears throat> to get true budget, to get a, you know, reality on what the real numbers are going to be going forward. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you for being here yeah. for... Four hours. <laughs> you win tonight. This was the best four hours of his week. <laughs> we will yourself. That's right. And again, shout out our other facility advisors. We will yourself.
The bar is low. <laughs> so if you have any questions, I'll be over here. Okay. <laughs> um, I can continue with the rest of the FAC report. That's helpful. Um, so again, one of the big things we discussed was kind of our takeaways coming out of the uh, walkthroughs uh, of all the schools, which we did back on the 21st. I will say, uh, just as a starting place, the water bottle fillers, um, you know, he had that on there, Chris had that on there uh, initially, but almost every single principal mentioned the desire for this <laughs> and the need for this within their school. Uh, we, we believe Chris paid them off, um, but <laughs> they stuck to their message, they said no, and uh, they were uh, very, very confident. Um, beyond that, we obviously were looking at space needs and this continued to be straining. They, they are slightly better in certain places in that we do not have um, the classroom that was in the Cunningham Library is now a teacher workroom this current year. They were able to figure out and actually take some space from Collicott. Uh, so um, Cunningham still doesn't have enough room for themselves, but Collicott had just this particular year um, a kind of a classroom shift and was able to provide some space to Cunningham. So it is likely next year that we'll need to switch back, but at least for the current year, they moved the teacher workroom into that space. So the teacher workroom is off the it's stage. <laughs> so it's now in uh, kind of a you know three quarters wall there, um, but just universally, you know, um, again, the classroom spaces within the Pierce Library still exists uh, and that, and they have two spaces. There's still offices in the Cunningham Collicott Library, and they're using the librarian space as a classroom. So all those things that were existing are still existing. I think the, one of the other takeaways we had um, that the committee talked about was just the consistent uh, description from principals of need for these small pullout spaces and office spaces. And that has even kind of extended into the high school um, for the desire for extra like counselor spaces. Um, uh, nursing spaces, meeting spaces uh, for staff. Um, they had a, a close eye on um, Peter's office. They really want to want to take that away from him, uh, just to find you know, some space. So He's not fighting that hard to protect it. So. Yeah, that's right. Um, so uh, again, like the the need for space, as much as it's an elementary school problem um, and also a Pierce problem, it's also a high school problem. Pierce uh, was interesting to look at, and the, they did some reconfigurations to address. They obviously added uh, half a team, as I think you'll know, on the sixth grade, so that took up a little bit more space. But there is projections that next year will become even worse because sixth and seventh are so much larger than eighth grade. Um, so they are they are managing, uh, but again, it is it is tight, and all the ancillary spaces are still seeing the same impacts, which is lunches are long and full. Um, and, and those things are, are real. Um, you know, we saw some other, beyond just the space, we saw some other things that the, the committee wants to look into a little bit more, such as kind of um, the difference in playground experience across the elementary schools and specifically thinking about Tucker and how do we make that, you know, it's a very small compact site, but it has very little green space. Uh, and so, you know, how do we improve that experience for those students um, within the compact site? Um, so that's another kind of example of things that uh, that were discussed. Um, you know, the temperature and the heating came up. Um, Tucker, as an example, of the classrooms we went you know, on that day was it was a warm day. They had big windows, so um, those are things that we are experiencing, and that um, you know the principals raised as the kids and the staff experienced that. Um, 
you know, the other ancillary thing that we don't always think about that came up at a couple schools was access to staff restrooms uh, with more staff and the ability for them to have adequate access to find restrooms during their breaks um, that are also in spaces that are available to them because that Calicut is an example. One of their staff restrooms was in a teacher workroom, which is now a classroom. And so the access to that restroom is really not uh, the same accessibility uh, in terms of bothering students. So um, those were things that are raised and that are like ancillary impacts of the space that we don't always think about, uh, but that are that are real. Um, so. Um, those are, I think, some of the, the big takeaways we had that we're, we're continuing to talk through. But anything else? No, we, we have some next steps that we're going to kind of follow up on. We looked at, you know, we um, kind of explore mm -hmm. our options at maybe Curry College and mm -hmm. um, also looking at some modulars and see what, what, we, what we can do and kind of get pricing on things and just have more information to make decisions. So it's kind of where we are. And, you know, we also talked about, like, you know, as we make changes like you know like whether it's like as chris mentioned there's money in the budget to make modifications like you know how do we kind of make sure that those have a lifespan of like mm -hmm. you know how, how do we see them like five or ten years from now you know so you know so we talked about those as well so anyway it was it was very productive and it was a great opportunity to kind of debrief and it was also really nice to like get everyone else's feedback i thought mm -hmm. you know just just being in that space and like everybody kind of took away with different things. I, I knew there were like, we had stuff to look at, like, you know, we were like, okay, we should look at this and this and this, but then there was like, you know, and, and some of the ideas that came up mm -hmm. out of that today, like were really interesting, you know, mm -hmm. like creating maybe like in um, the, the gyms uh, to create a mezzanine floor, like, you know, so uh, just to kind of help mm -hmm. with some of the space issues. So I thought that was, pretty clever and creative. So it was nice to like, I think it was nice to like have the facilities committee just go and do that walkthrough and just kind of bring forth mm -hmm. ideas, even if they don't go anywhere, but just kind of have those conversations I thought was really helpful. Mm -hmm. Any questions? So we will, um, you mentioned looking back at the FY25 capital requests next meeting, potentially November 1st. Yeah, um, from initial conversation, I think we okay. need it for November, uh, which allows this committee at least another uh, crack at kind of looking at it and, and uh, maybe come back to it. But um, the okay. facility advisory committee, unfortunately, is not going to have another crack at it, but we've looked at it twice mm -hmm. and again given some feedback. And so okay. um, think if we delay it until uh, next school committee meeting, that'd be great. Okay, sounds good. So, all right. Um, do we want to stay on committee reports and then circle back to the chair's report? Um, Defer to your, your your direction. Makes sense. Sure. So, mm -hmm. finance, vendor warrants. All right. So, we have two warrants to approve tonight. First one is vendor warrant number 14, dated August 12th, 2023, in the amount of $708,408.26. And we have a second vendor warrant, number 15, payable on October 19th, 2023, in the amount of $352,472.54. May I get a motion to 
approve oh. the warrant. Thank you, Mark. So moved. Second. Second. All in favor? And I hope you're all getting the copies that I've been forwarding so you Thank should you. be able yes, to peruse. Did. Great. Great. Um, MFE, do you want to just keep going? Oh, yeah, why not? So for those of you who have not received a flyer at home, <laughs> the Monster Dash is scheduled for October 29th in the morning. It's a combination of a kids' fun run. There'll also be a, like a mini carnival with a bouncy house. There'll be the adult 5K run, and we'll see our superintendent in costume. I'm sure with that. <laughs> With something to protect his hamstring. Out <laughs> of the contract, I thought. Well, I said well, I would go. <laughs> and I'll be cheering you on from the sidelines I can, with I a can, donut. I can do, do it. I do it all. <laughs> uh, they're still accepting grant applications from our teachers through October 20th. And actually, going back to the Monster Dash, they're always looking for volunteers. So if anyone is interested, please visit the MFE website. It would be great to have more people out there. There's a lot of folks we expect to turn out, and all, all hands on deck is, is very helpful. It's a fun run, too. Mm -hmm. Thank you. You actually meant that. I, I have. <laughs> That's I have. lovely. I'm running. Are you running this year? Depends on my child. <laughs> <laughs> she has a bad knee, so if I run without her, oh. she'll be upset. Just carry her. Put her on your back. I, may. I might as well. You might as well. <laughs> That's right. On your back. You got this. Hmm? On your back. Oh, yeah, you know. Yeah. She's taller. It's, it's early. It's at 9 for the 5K. And I think the kitty run is before. Yeah, usually. I think it starts at 830. That's why I have it done. Oh, as I said, I'll be there with a donut cheering you on. As long as you bring me one. So it's nine for the five K and what let me go back to the website so I just closed the window. Hold on one second. I wanna just in case anyone's listening. Uh, we have three attendees. We can sign know, up but the I'll ask the question just to make sure I was paying attention. I've done it. Alright. Has the has the t shirt been picked yet? Not to my knowledge. I know I'm sure plenty of people around this room have been asked. So it starts at nine AM at seventy five Edge Hill Road. And the fun runs afterwards. There's another thing, though. Or before. A kitty. Yeah, there's a kids. Kids thing. There is a kids, kids run. Kids race. So the kids, the kids run is at eight thirty. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And there's going to be a DJ. Mm -hmm. Then um, it's a, oh, it's the sensory kids fun run is at eight thirty. Nine a.m. is the kids fun run, and at nine thirty is the costume contest. Doctor Burroughs. I'm, I'm and 10 a.m. is the 5K race. Oh, okay. I'm very grateful for the schedule. It was on the website. Okay, thank you. 8.30 to 10. That means I had to get out of the Until house the back. last Miltonian <laughs> makes it across. <laughs> All right. Um, school building committee. I think you should start. You were involved in the whole process. <laughs> yeah, so um, we uh, had a meeting Monday night, uh, and we um, were to select an owner project manager for the construction of the school. Uh, we had had a subcommittee um, take seven finalists uh, or seven submissions for the OPM 
um, and limit those to three finalists. Those three finalists came in in person and did presentations. They were PMA, Vertex, and Left Field, um, all highly qualified individuals. Um, they did a presentation in front of the whole school building committee uh, about you know an hour each uh, with presentation and questions. Uh, really impressed by all of them. Ultimately, in the full SBC, um, each person kind of ranked uh, their preference, one, two, three, one being their favorite. And uh, it was almost universal. Only one person ranked it second, but um, PMA was the winning um, um, bidder from that. Left field was second and Vertex was third. Um, so uh, essentially now um, that recommendation will be taken to the select board uh, to ask the select board to um, move forward with negotiations to um, bring them under contract. If for some reason PMA cannot come to a contractual agreement because the, the bid was a, a request for services, there was no pricing associated with it. Um, as uh, per state law. But um, if that can't happen, then we would go to our second choice, which would be left field. And if for some reason mm -hmm. that, then it'd be the third choice. But that's uh, unlikely, but certainly possible. Um, so that's really exciting. Um, uh, one of the things they were, uh, most people were particularly excited about was PMA has two Milton uh, residents who uh, will, are planned to be on the, the team. Um, which is uh, exciting, but again, they're highly qualified in, in their field. Um, so that's it for the OPM. Uh, and then I think we shared already that the SBC um, voted uh, and sent it over to select board um, a warrant article for additional funding of $400,000. I presented at the select board last week and select board voted unanimous, unanimously to approve that warrant or to accept the warrant article to the warrant. Um, so that has happened. And then just earlier this evening, um, the chair, um, Sean, and uh, Mike Zulis presented to the warrant uh, committee uh, about that article. And the warrant committee voted to um, recommend the, that article uh, for, again, the additional funding to the um, December town meeting. So that's the SBC updates. Thank you, Mark. <laughs> Thank you so much. All right. Let's see. That just leaves the chair's report, and this is going to be quick. Um, one, so I think in reverse order, um, the MASC resolutions attachment that we have in our folder. Uh, so as we know, there's the joint conference coming up mm -hmm. in the second week of November. Um, there's this PDF which MASC um, sent out. These are the resolutions that will be voted on at the convention. Um, this is just for our information. <clears throat> at our next meeting in two weeks, we will uh, vote together um, on whether we uh, support these different resolutions. Um, so for right now, we just read through them and bring questions and discussion next time um, prior to voting to see where we as a school committee are in relation to these. Um, what we do need to do is vote to appoint our, um, what's it called, delegate, um, to go, who will be present at the conference, who will represent 
our committee based on how we choose to vote um, on each of these resolutions. So um, we have a motion. Motion is made to appoint uh, blank as the delegate for the Milton School Committee. I am attending the conference, um, not the entire conference, but I do plan to be there for the the day when this um, delegation, the delegation, sorry, I'm so tired. <laughs> I'm sorry. Do you want me to Lisa. represent us at this conference? Yeah, I'll yes. Would anybody like to do that instead? No, thanks. Anybody else going? Anyone else wants to do I that. move that our chair represents us as delegate at the MASC conference. I second that. Okay. So probably my name. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> we're still talking. We're voting. We're past that, Lizzie. We're voting. Yes. Yes. Sorry. We all agree on that, Lizzie. Friendly amendment to change chair to Lizzie. Elizabeth Carroll, Lizzie Carroll, as the delegate for the Milton School Committee to vote on behalf of the Milton School Committee at the MASC annual conference. That. So I, she did that first. Motion. I made and that motion. second. We okay. already voted. All in favor? What? Okay. I, I'm really looking forward to this. I know. I have no idea how much I can't wait to do this. <laughs> I will be there with you, too. So I'm clearly not running for any officer positions within MASC. <laughs> so, um, no, seriously, we'll talk about that next time. Um, we vote on each resolution, though, individually. It's not a slate. Um, yeah, it's individual. Yeah, I think it's one by one. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, so do take time to read through that. Um, next time, obviously, like, I would be representing the, ma the majority of the school committee, so it's mm -hmm. fine if we take different votes one-to-one. -one. I will double-check that with Charlene before because that's my recollection is that we have voted them one by one. I don't know that there have always been this many, honestly. Uh, this feels like yeah. more than we had last year, but anyway, um, that's something to look forward to for two weeks from now. Um, the, we have a set of minutes to approve. Uh, that's for I'll make a motion October 4th. To approve the minutes for October 4th for Milton School Committee meeting. Second. Okay, all in favor? Great, awesome. unanimous. Um, okay, so for the, we are meeting um, next Thursday for our sort of quarterly governance retreat. Um, so, Thank you, I know that basically everybody here is doing some different um, working group work to help that be a really fruitful discussion. We'll be together next Thursday in terms of the next meeting after that, November 1st, I think we have Glover Site Council. We'll have under your report. Um, is there anything else at this time that you wanna note for that? Um, Under superintendent's report. No, I mean, nothing that I think needs an agenda okay. at this point. Um, we will have these MASC resolutions back under the chair's report. Under subcommittees, we'll have, will we have the fourth quarter report potentially? Um, will, so the, will it's whether Glenn or not, still be Glenn's away? not coming back until the beginning of November. Okay, so probably not for November 1st. 
we will have, I think, <laughs> policies meeting tomorrow, so we'll probably have a policy update. And then we'll have under facilities at least this um, potentially FY25 capital requests again. Mm-hmm. Um, if there are other advisory committees that uh, plan to have reports, you know, unless you know that off the top of your head right now, we can just return. You can let us know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So the school building may. Um, I think we're still meeting on Monday. We are. I'm not going to be there on Monday. Though, but. Okay. So I'm going to be presenting. Okay. All right. Great. Um, anything else? Okay. This has been our longest meeting. That's that's fine. It's still under three hours. Um, does anyone want to <laughs> reason to celebrate? All I, all I would note uh, make before we uh, adjourn. Make before we adjourn, actually, I just want to note that I will be late at the next meeting. Um, I think I mentioned to you that I have an event, yeah. and I will be coming from the Federal Reserve Bank. Okay. Um, so wish me luck mm. as I drive back. <laughs> okay. So downtown. Bring us some money. I know, right? Pretty <laughs> um, bad. Oh. <laughs> Take a few. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we'll just just keep us posted, and we'll catch you up. And you know, we're not voting on anything. It's just a discussion. So right. we'll make sure that we can keep, make keep you up to date, and you can participate. Sure. But um, thank you all very much. So you were making a motion to adjourn. Yes. Who was that? No, was did I? Yeah. I'm tired. Yeah. I'll second. Thank you. Okay. All in favor? All right. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.